This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt who is away on a speaking engagement. Is it wrong of me to always tell on him and and, uh, inform our listeners exactly where he is when he's not here on the show? Probably. (laughs) I don't know. Because, I mean, then people that work here will just know. When they come in, like, where's Matt? They already know if they were listening. You can tell if people here are listening. That helps me out. Well, at least the times when he's gone because he wants to go shopping. I don't mention those Right. That only happens around Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. We've also got Terry South here and, of course, Cole Wissinger. And we really have a terrific show for you today. And Terry South, I'm sure, is going to be giving us a lot of political news, which is interesting because our first guest is going to be talking to us about our politics stressing out teenagers. And it's kind of an interesting topic because adults seem to be talking about it quite a bit and kids especially are kind of in the political sphere now especially with everything that's going on in Florida it's affecting the entire nation with kids doing walkouts and protests and yeah it's it's affecting everybody and and when i was a kid i don't know how much of this i paid attention to i oh, know yeah. i know like you go to your history class and there was an election when i was in high school and i remember the history teacher stopping the class and we're going to talk about this like we did a mock vote and, you know, try to yeah. get informed. So you go through this sort of exercise of what it means to be involved politically as a citizen and right. your right to vote. And now I think with the difference between then and now is social media, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know, For access sure. to information. It's constantly in your face. Yeah. When I was a kid, you'd, I mean, I still had to go find a computer. To actually look at this stuff. So you could kind of throttle your day. And I didn't really watch the news too much when I was a kid. I watched lots of sports when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know about that, I could tell you. But that doesn't (laughs) matter. It's frivolous, right? It's it's fun. But when it gets to this, you start – there's real, you know, in many cases, life and death situations going on. And that can depress people when you're just constantly hit with that. Yeah. And I don't know, we've seen studies the last few weeks, we as humans don't seem to be able to know how to deal with all this information at the same time. I'm really, comes, I'm really interested to speak with this guest because uh, one of the things that, that's mentioned in there is, is causing stress for these teenagers is they're overeating. And I never would have connected overeating with stress that comes from like, politics. Are they stress eating? Usually it's like a, you broke up with a significant other yeah. or you're just really depressed, you know, but uh, Grab I, the I ice guess cream and yeah. I'll have to I'm curious to know more about that. Wow. We never talked about politics in my house for different reasons though. I think it's because it stemmed from the fact that my father was the sole Democrat in our home full oh. of Republicans. It's just going to be so, a fight, so why well, bother, yeah. And you know, a credit to him, he he chooses the high road, meaning he chooses to not get in a debate and just keep the peace, which there's a lot to be said for that. Um, now, I mean, he could probably have a little more faith in us that, that we'll keep things civil, but he, yeah, good for him. And, uh, and speaking of fathers, we're also going to be talking about later on in the program how to connect with your kids as a father. And I this really hit home with me because I've started noticing lately that the stuff, the time that I'm spending with my kids seems to be, let's 
see how let's uh let's think dad is the coolest person in the world you know so oh. let's i i try to think of as many fun things as we possibly can and maybe i'm doing my kids a disservice for that hmm. but uh, we'll find out hopefully we'll we'll get some more yeah, you, you good think advice you there. think you're doing something that uh, will leave a lasting memory and maybe it's the wrong memory you're leaving right who knows yeah like you wondered am i spoiling my kids yeah. Am I giving them everything they want? I went to the baseball game with my six-year-old last night, and I went home and described to my wife all the food that we had gotten at the concession stand. She was like, really? And I was like, oh, yeah, that is kind of a lot. Yeah. Because she had a hot dog. She had a churro. We brought some Starburst from home. Then she wanted a hot chocolate. And uh, we only stayed for like four and a half innings. So that's quite a lot of food to— Piled and, her up. You know— I will say this. I asked her, what was your favorite part of the baseball game? And she said, oh, when we had all the food. And I thought, you know, that was always my favorite part of the – and it's still to this day is still the best part of the baseball game, going and getting the concessions. Right. Because from where you're sitting, you can't really see the action anyway. Mm. It's it's why you like to enjoy sports from home. Yeah. Just – well, that (laughs) – I took my kid to a basketball game when we got, what, into the first quarter. He's like, can we go? Like yeah. the game's not over uh, yet. And he goes, oh. And then he ended up playing Angry Birds for the last half of the game. And Yeah. <sighs> well, we ended up leaving at the perfect time, and we'll get into that more. Yeah. But first, let's talk about what's going on around the rest of the country. Police aren't, aren't expecting to find any more survivors of the pedestrian bridge collapse at Florida International University, where the death toll has now reached six. The 862-ton bridge, which was only... Uh, erected last Saturday, collapsed over a highway Thursday afternoon and crushed multiple vehicles. Miami-Dade Police Department worked through the night to rescue victims from the wreckage, but announced early Friday morning that it now a search and recover mission with no one else expected to have survived. Because we mm. don't anticipate that we'll find anybody alive in there. Officer Lee Coward, a police spokesman, told the Miami Herald, nine people who survived the collapse have been removed from the wreckage and transported to local hospitals. Fire and rescue officials say eight vehicles remain trapped under the bridge. Police say they do not know how many people are still missing, but uh, are now presumed dead. It's been so long. Four people, they have said, or no, it's six. The numbers keep moving around. There's some people that that they have confirmed dead and removed. There's people that have survived and removed. And now now the problem is, is the structure is not stable it's kind of sitting up on a post or something and so they can't really get in there and find out so they're trying to move carefully so they don't yeah. hurt anybody else yeah uh special counsel robert Mueller has subpoenaed the trump organization to turn over documents including some related to russia the new york times reports uh the subpoena was issued in recent weeks and ordered president trump's namesake umbrella company to hand over all documents related to russia and other topics he has investigated the times report that there is no indication that the company plans to fight Mueller on the subpoena. The com- uh, this comes as Mueller has seemingly broadened his investigation scope, looking into foreign money, specifically activities related to the United Arab Emirates that may or may not have been a factor in the administration's activities. President Trump in the past has said that if the investigation strays into his family finances, that is the red line. Yeah. yeah. Stuff happens when you cross red lines and depending on which president you are. Hmm. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Uh, President Trump has reportedly decided to fire his national security advisor, H.R. McMasters. The Washington Post reported this yesterday, saying Trump is now comfortable with removing McMaster from the Post, but is willing to take time to execute the move in order to save McMaster from humiliation and choose a replacement. 
You know what sounder we just need to have at the ready What's on that? a daily basis you're fired? now? Another one bites the dust. Oh, yeah, or yeah. you're fired. Yeah. Or you're fired. <laughs> Trump has shown that he is prone to changing his mind, but the reported decision comes the same week that President fired Rex Tillerson, the former Secretary of State. On uh, on Thursday, McMaster delivered a blistering rebuke of Russia during a speech at the U- U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. It's hard to say. Uh, a potential successor is John Bolton, a U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under President George W. Bush. Bolton is, as they describe him here, as, ha- is as hawkish as they come. Hmm. He's an author of an opinion piece in, in the Wall Street Journal last month, which the provocative headline of the legal case for striking North Korea first. Hmm. As hawkish as they come. Yeah, the White House on Thursday night insisted that President Trump and National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster's have a, quote, good working relationship. So fake news. But he's going to get fired? Maybe. Okay. Who knows? Stuff happens. This came out yesterday. Uh, Drinking from a plastic water bottle likely means ingesting microplastic particles, a new study claims, prompting fresh concerns. Oh, man. I just brought a water bottle today. Well, no, listen, we'll go on. It calls for, uh, they're they're calling for more research into this. Okay. One of the possible health implications of widespread plastic pollution is that it gets into us. Yes. The study carried out on more than 250 water bottles sourced from 11 brands in nine different countries revealed that microplastic contamination was nearly universal found in more than 90% of the samples. So they're talking about when you go out and you buy the bottled water. Okay. Right? okay. So you, you go to yeah, you, yeah, yeah. pre-bottled, like what you have right there uh. on the desk, one of those. Um, and not and so the, what they're saying is this is more reason maybe just to go get a bottle and fill it that way instead of having... But they're still doing research, right? Yeah. So in the meantime, ignorance is their, bliss. Their finding is that 90% of what was found had microplastics oh, in it. Oh, man. So, this is the, the one day that I bring a plastic water bottle, you right. read the story. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because you have that other one, that, that bottle you won here from mm-hmm. the office mm-hmm. that is uh, something people may walk away with because it's really nice. Or I don't know, though, because there's an old one that's just been Is sitting it? on that desk out there in the that common area. No. Okay. Everybody thinks that, but <laughs> like, somebody else's. Finally, Russian news reports say the hatch of a cargo plane carrying precious metals accidentally flew open on takeoff, scattering at least three tons of gold on the runway. An investigation is underway after the incident Thursday at, the air- at an airport in East Siberia. And then it says, sorry, treasure hunters. Authorities recovered 172 gold bars weighing 3.4 tons, the Interior Ministry says, so you can't go there and find it. Oh, man. They got it all back. The airplane operated by uh, the airline Nimbus. Have you heard of Nimbus? You spent time in Russia. Uh, I've heard of the Nimbus 2000 from Harry Potter. Yeah, this is different. Okay. They took off carrying 9.3 tons of gold and other precious metals worth around $350 million, according to the statement. Damage to the door handle caused it to fly open and spill some of the metal. No one was hurt. They are investigating. Do not go to Russia. They have recovered all the gold. So a lot of people get stressed out by political news, but I'm being stressed out by all the other news where the water that I'm drinking could Mm -hmm. be contaminated and I am no longer able to go treasure hunting for the gold bars. There you go. No treasure hunting. See, now, you collect this political news on a daily basis. Yes. And you consume it very heavily. Sure. Does this stress you out? No. Now, why not? I was just thinking about that because, you know, the story coming up today. Yeah. Uh, we've had to curtail kind of when and how we talk about things at home because my boy started having political opinions. Really? He's six. We're like, well, <laughs> I probably don't need to have that. He probably just, you know doesn't need to worry about okay. any of that. Go play your games, watch a cartoon, have opinions about that, but mm-hmm. don't, you know. 
Um, I I think it's because I I see it as a soap opera. Mm-hmm. I, I you're, you're just following the day to day. The you know I I look at it in a different way and and don't really take a lot of it as being impactful on my life because in the in the end it like the there's big things to do like maybe a tax cut you'll see something when you when you do your taxes maybe you get more or less that kind of thing impacts you but a vast majority of the policies that are out there are on like a national or international level and it comes down to the individual person it doesn't really affect you other than maybe it's not how you want your country to be yeah or what policy you want and so all these people fighting over things, it's like, does it really affect me personally or my family? And not really. What affects me and my family is the city council down the street that I have no idea who's sitting on that council. Right. Right. They affect local taxes and all the municipality services that come in, and they affect all that, which really affects your life day to day. Yeah. Whereas what's happening in Washington, D.C., it does on some level, but on an individual level, not really. Have you ever been to a city council meeting where you weren't required to go as a Boy Scout? No. Okay. <laughs> I was getting a merit badge. I was done. Yeah. I <laughs> or, think that's or the... I, like, I've been to, uh, what were they? Or they're like uh, district council meetings, or, or they're uh, school district meetings, or, mm-hmm. and it was always over busing. Yeah. Everyone's fighting about busing. The only time you get parents really motivated to show up to a, a school board meeting is uh, if their kids are going to get their busing taken away, and you got to take them to school in the morning. Right. It's a hassle. <laughs> Right. No, I I'm I totally agree with you. It kind of seems like if it doesn't affect us here on a local level, it's almost like it's a totally different world. It's like it's some yeah. dream world that, you know, it's just so far off it 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 doesn't possibly have to do with us, right? But I think I think it, you bring it, it, it does. I, so I I guess for me there's a bit of a disconnect mm-hmm. that I can put there because yeah. they're they're going after policies and things and a lot of it has to do with and i think nationally when people respond either positive or negative it's because they're looking at this is how i want my country to be mm-hmm. and what that person said or did is either a representative of that or not yeah and so they react accordingly yeah and that's i i look at it like okay great but the things change so often right mm-hmm. so they'll make a policy and a week later it changes or a couple months later or, or trump the next will hire somebody and then the or, week later they're gone yeah you yeah, scaramucci <laughs> everyone's going nuts because yeah. this guy was put in he has no experience er, and then a week later he's gone yeah and it's like you just spent all that time and you see it in the news cycles we had I can't remember the guy's name, but he was one of the people subpoenaed by Robert Mueller, mm-hmm. and he went on like every what four networks one night saying I'm not going to show up, I'm not going to testify, I'm ripping up the subpoena on Friday, and then he shows up to testify Friday morning, <laughs> right? And that Caved. whole he went the whole day, and then by like what he went on like CNN and and MSNBC and all these shows going back and forth about how this is ridiculous and I shouldn't have to testify. And that was by midnight. He'd talk to the Washington or the Associated Press and said, I'm totally going to testify. It was totally. (laughs) And it was a a whole cycle of just everyone's hairs on fire and everyone gets all this anxious and anxiety. Like, oh, look what's happening. And then it's nothing. Yeah. And to me, it's better. I go by the idea. Don't watch cable news. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless something's happening. Like yesterday, there was the bridge collapse. So I turned around to see what was happening. But most of the time they go sit down at a desk and there's like six people around the desk. That's when I turn it off. Because people, yeah. people are going to start giving their opinions on things, and they're based on whatever they think. 
Right? Sure. And so they're not based on this is actually happening. Right. So you start hearing all these scenarios and, for instance, those sort of things, mm-hmm. and it just sort of elevates the anxiety level because what if, instead of what's actually happening, when you can just hear the news, turn it off, right? Well, but part of that is they are interested in ratings, too. Oh, sure. And let's, uh, let's make this I've, a bigger deal than it I've may be. I've talked about it before. I watch a lot of, like, sports news, but when they go to a panel— like yesterday with the NCAA tournament, there was a lot of people sitting around tables, and some of that's kind of interesting. But after a while, it's like, well, what if? And I'm like, uh, okay, and I just turn the channel because I don't want to hear you speculate on something. Tell me what happened. So what would it take for a table full of six people, uh, what would it take for you to want to watch them? Nothing anymore. Like eating a really delicious-looking meal Mm-mm. or like testing out a new technological project not really or, uh, product no i listen no. to a lot of like like podcasts where there's panels yeah and there's some of that that goes on but it seems less uh uh incendiary i guess is the mm-hmm. word you could use mm-hmm. it's it's they're not trying to amp up the 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 anxiety like it seems like cable news tries to do as you said for ratings purposes Oh. And and then on on the podcast it seems more level headed where people just sort of talk about the implications of whatever happened. Yeah. What if? What if? What if? It's still what if, but it doesn't yeah. seem as <laughs> speculative and out of control that the cable news well, seems to be. And this is where a lot of the fake news comes from, and because you have people tuning into a lot of these what ifs, because there are certain things you just want to believe. You know? Oh, yeah. And then it, it just it, gets spread it, it, it like already, wildfire. It, con- it confirms your bias, right? Yeah. And people start yelling at each other, and mm-hmm. somehow that's entertaining. And I just I don't need to spend any emotional capital on what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so I change the channel and move on to something else. Now, if you're talking to someone who's, you know, key to the story, that's interesting. But then when you sure. step back and you got some guy that's a political consultant and he's been doing this for years and he knows what buttons to push and so he starts talking and gets everyone mm. all amped up, it doesn't seem productive. I think I know the panel that Terry would tune into. What's that? Talking about the new Avengers Infinity War trailer of that course. was released uh, approximately 15 minutes ago. Was it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you watch it? I've been distracted working on the show. I will go watch it in a minute. Um, it's been wow. released since we've been having this conversation. Yeah. See, uh, that's a whole other topic of discussion, too. And that kind of speculation doesn't have any importance to it. It's a movie. Yeah. Right? Oh, it's fun to get caught up in the what ifs of things that don't matter. They start doing what if about North Korea. Mm. No, that matters to people. Much. Start, you know, like like this Bolton guy I was telling you who might take over as the national security advisor, writing a an op ed piece about why we should strike North Korea first. People get kind of anxious about that stuff. That's true. People get very anxious. And about- he's he's one of these guys that one uh, uh, he comes on cable networks and talks about this kind of stuff, and that's the direction he takes the conversation. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need to hear the what if we drop a bomb on another country that has bombs they want to shoot at us, if they could actually make it here. You know, I'm not going to stress myself out over the new trailer. I'm not going to watch it. Wow. You know why? I, I'm probably going to go watch it right now. Just yesterday, <laughs> I was thinking about this. There's a, a film coming out called Ready Player One. The first trailer came out. I wasn't all that excited for it. Really? The second trailer came out. I was like, okay, that looks much better. I'll go see that. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like they gave away way too much in the trailer to the point where it's like, okay, I can see the entire arc of this film in the trailer. You think? You think, but 
you have this you have all these players that are competing for all this they, money they and this the company idea. yeah and the 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 main character goes from you know competing for himself to let's all work together and sure. we can all win the prize but, together like everyone thought the trailers for Star Wars and they figured they had the story down and then you go watch the story and you're like oh wait it's all totally different because they mess with you with the trailers now yeah they give you pieces out of context, and you th- you all of a sudden build something that isn't there for the movie. Just go see the movie. Don't yeah, don't get me wrong. I'll go see the movie. I but just, don't be d- disappointed. And come to some conclusion based on pieces of information. You need the whole story. I like to I like to wait until after the fact, and then I'll consume every bit of information I can about that film if I like it. I think that's the way to approach it. Form your opinions, and then talk about it. Right. A lot of people get stressed out over this. A lot of people get stressed out over politics like we've been talking about. And uh, we're going to continue that thought with our next guest who's going to be talking about how politics is stressing out America's youth when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. And I think people... The current political climate has been difficult for Americans of all political stripes. The focus has been on adults, yet teens and college-aged Americans are exposed to the same headlines. Are the polarized headlines and political events causing unhealthy levels of stress for our youth? Well, to look into this further, Dr. Melissa DeYonker has worked with others at the University of Michigan to conduct research and we have her on the show here today. Melissa, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. And thank you so much for having me. So I don't know if you've been tuned into our program yet this morning, but we've been talking about this quite a bit because usually we will start off the show talking about all all that's going on in the world of politics. And, you know, we're, we're just constantly surrounded by politics and the news. It's, it's a, a very stressful time for a lot of people. Why do you think it does cause so much stress, though? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, you know, one thing that we know about stress is that the more, the, you know, the more times you're exposed to something, um, you start to feel the effects more. So chronic or uncontrollable stress. Um, is associated with all sorts of mental and physical health problems down the road. Um, so, you know, it's the repeated exposure um, that, that may be playing a big role in that. Do you think it has anything to do with the media coverage of politics? One one point that we talked about earlier in the program is that a lot of these people are very expert in amping up the dramatics of the political news. Do you think that plays into it? Hmm. I would say, you know, we didn't ask that specifically in the study, so I can't say for sure, um, but it seems likely, right? So a lot of the adolescents and young adults too reported that they were just sick of having this conversation and having it be so divided. Um, so they're talking to their parents, they're talking to their friends, they're seeing stories on social media, media and on the news that really makes them feel like this is a battle, Right. Like we are um, arguing all the time, sensationalized. And so I think it is likely that that plays into it. So tell us more about the study that that you surveyed. You surveyed uh, 80 youth. And what were some of the parameters of the study? Sure. So I'm part of a team of adolescent health researchers 
And we actually talk to youth every week via text messaging. So we know that uh, youth are always on their phones, right? And text messaging is a way to access um, or a way to communicate with them. So we actually send out weekly surveys via text message about a ton of different health and social issues. Um, so we ask them about their relationships with their doctors. We ask them about how, how much they sleep at night. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that we were noticing was that in the months before the election, there, were a ton, there was a ton of media coverage about how stressed out adults were. Um, so we wanted to hear from youth to see if they were experiencing the same thing. So three, t- three time points, we um, talked to the adolescents about stress. It was before the, <clears throat> excuse me, one week before the election, two weeks after, and then four months after. Um, and we had about eight and um, tell us in an open-ended way, just sort of tell us the story of what they were experiencing related to politics. Interesting. So, uh, you know, one thing I noticed, you, you mentioned this study, and I, I think of I think of my relationship with my children and my stress level and how that translates to their stress level. I notice mm. that when, when, when we don't exactly have everything put together or if they can tell that we're upset or we're stressed out over something, it causes some anxiety in them. Do you think that any of this stress that these uh, teenagers and college-age students are experiencing is inherited from their parents? Are they being stressed out because their parents are stressed out? Hmm. Well, I don't know for sure with the, you know, with the youth that we talk to, but I would imagine that the, that the um, adolescents are they're living in the same space as their parents, right? Um, so it makes sense that that environment um, would be similar and would also have an impact on the young people. I think one thing that, that we forget, though, or not a lot of attention is given to, is that you know, politics affect youth just as much as, as a politics affect adults, right? So that the policies that are being made, um, the conversations that are, um, that are happening in the country also affect the, um, you know, the, the way that adolescents are able to live their lives. So they're paying attention, um, they're thinking about how this might impact them, um, and that's contributing to the amount of distress that they're feeling. So, Melissa, what were what were some of the findings that you had? What were some of the, the biggest concerns that you came across in these studies from the youth? Well, I would say, first, um, that the stress hasn't gone away. So youth were reporting stress before the election. They were reporting it during and then after. Um, so symptoms like not sleeping, difficulty concentrating, and then the more emotional, just stressed out, anxious feelings didn't go away after the election. Yeah. Um, so it's something that's continuing to affect young people. And like I, like I was saying earlier, we know that chronic stress can have really negative implications for health and well-being. Um, so we really want uh, practitioners, teachers, parents to pay attention to what's going on in um, the lives of young people to make sure that we're, just, we're not ignoring this as a problem, um, but helping youth to develop coping strategies or, um, you know, think about how they can, they can deal with the, the stress of politics in a positive way. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a correlation between the level of stress that they experience and their level of involvement in social media? Mm, 
Yeah, that's a great question. So we didn't ask that specifically, um, but there is some evidence in, in, in what the adolescents were saying that a lot of their, their news and their frustration came from the exposure on social media. So because they are so plugged in, they are constantly receiving information from their friends, from their family and the world. And, um, you know, they have to process that, right? So if they are spending a lot of time on social media, it makes sense to me um, that that would play into the amount of stress that they're feeling. We do know that that's true with adults. So there was a study from the American Psychological Association that showed that adults who used social media more often reported more um, more stress before the election. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wonder, yeah, I wonder uh, what would happen to our stress level if we just kind of backed up a bit and didn't participate as much in social media. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, unplugged a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're just joining <laughs> us, we're speaking with Melissa DeYonker, uh, who is from the or uh, conducted a study with others at the University of Michigan um, to gauge stress in teens and college age students. And I'm curious to know what uh, what positive findings you had. Did you have uh, any any responses from the youth that indicated that maybe they weren't as stressed as some of the others, or maybe they they felt safe, they felt secure. Well, that's a, that's a very good point. So we did um, we did talk to youth who felt, you know, that they they never engaged in politics, and so politics doesn't affect them at all. Um, we had youth who were saying, you know, I don't really worry about it, or I turn off the news, I don't pay attention to what's going on. So we did have a, a small portion of young people who were saying that. Um, we also not in this study necessarily, but um, we've done a follow-up where we actually have talked to 1,500 youth now. Um, same age group, same questions related to politics, and it's been in, in the time since the 2016 election. Um, we're still analyzing it, but I can tell you that some of, the, some of the youth reported that, you know, they feel like things are going great, so they feel happy, they feel secure, they feel like you know, their financial situation is improving in the last few months. So there is a small subset of, of young people who, um, you know, have these, have these different reactions to the election. Yeah. Adding on to that, though, um, you know, we also found that supporters of either candidate, so the, the stress, the level of stress that young people were reporting was not specific to who they, who they wanted to win the election. Mm. Um, so we had youth who noted that they were Hillary supporters or youth who noted that they were going to vote for Trump and others who said, you know, I don't like either candidate. And all three types of individuals were saying the same sorts of things, that they can't sleep, they're nervous, they're anxious, um, they're having difficulty concentrating in school. So that's a real problem. Oh, absolutely. And I'm curious because uh, you, obviously you, there was an age range in this study. I'm curious to mm-hmm. know what was the youngest group of, of youth that you got responses from? And also, in your opinion, what, what's kind of the age at which these, uh, these youth start to form some of these political opinions? Well, 
You know, that's a very good question that I don't have the answer to in terms of um, Well, let, let's get back to the first opinion. part of that question. The how, how young were the, the youngest uh, youth that you interviewed? Fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. Yep. Wow. It'd be interesting yeah. to, see, to, to kind of put uh, match up their uh, political stances and their, their level of stress with what their parents' opinions are mm. and their level of stress. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's focus on on what we can do. Uh, so, how how can we help these these youth not feel so stressed? How can we help them so that they can better understand the events that are going on in the news, so that they don't have to be so stressed, they don't have to feel so worried. Hmm. Well, there have been you know there have been recommendations from, for example, the American Psychological Association that say taking time away from news is really important, right? Turn off the television or the social media and disengage. You want to read and be involved enough to know what's going on, but not necessarily more than that. Um, Especially if you're feeling like when you're reading through your social media pages and your timelines, that it becomes overwhelming, right? So it's acknowledging that feeling stressed or feeling anxious about things that are happening in the world is a normal thing. And then doing what you need to do to feel better in that situation. Based on research, we know that um, youth who, who volunteer, who get more involved in an issue that is important to them, um, who are engaged in their community, actually report um, better mental health. They have better mental health outcomes. Um, so getting involved in politics even may be useful. So we don't know that from this study, um, but that's definitely something I'd be interested in looking at in the future. I just love that idea. That's another thing that we talked about earlier in the program is trying to get involved at a, at a local level, whether it's you know doing something as small as as writing to your local representatives or going to a city council meeting. I'm even thinking right. of, of doing something as small as hosting a, a block party so that I'm just engaging the community a little more. So that's interesting. So the more involved that they become in these events that are stressing them out, it seems like the less stress they will be. That's really interesting. Right. So, so one of the things about stress is that um, or mental health in general with young people is that if you know that you can affect a difference locally, you can make a small difference, you can contribute, or for example, that your vote matters, these are all positive things that um, affect your mental health, right? So knowing that you can create a change, whether that's just through volunteering or, or having your block party or doing something positive, um, that's going to have mental health benefits. So yeah, I think I think we, you know we might see that with what's been going on with all the all the protests related to gun violence, right? So instead of backing away, young people have been walking out of school and standing up for something that they think is important. Yeah, I think that you know dem- that demonstrates most likely that they have control over the situation um, and have a voice in what's happening to them. Melissa, it's so interesting. The solution seems so simple, and yet it it doesn't seem like too many people are interested in the solution. Let me let me give you an example. I just remember growing up, and this is this is the case for so many children, where you know you had an you had an ouchie or you had something that wasn't feeling very well. So you would say, "Dad, 
it hurts when I when I touch this part of my head. And what did your dad say? He would just say, well, don't do it. Right. So <laughs> it seems like if social if uh, social media is causing us so much so much stress, we should just back away. Right. Just don't do it. Right. And so I think some right. of these ideas that you're giving us are just fantastic. And I'm curious to know, just in closing here, Melissa, what what else do you see going forward in your research? And what do you hope to see to help uh, de-stress our youth in America? Hmm. A simple question, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think our goal um, and our larger goal with the study that I'm a part, part of is really to connect youth experiences and youth perspectives to policy. Um, so we feed this information to policymakers with the idea that hopefully they will care about youth uh, perspectives on issues and use that to inform um, the policies that they support. Um, so part of part of our goal is to um, to help make change on a on a local, state, and federal level um, based on what young people think and feel. And I think again, going back to what's happening across schools in this country, right? Um, you know, that's really important, and and youth are expressing you know, a need to be a part of the conversation. It affects them, um, you know, policies affect them, and they want to be a part of that conversation. Well, Melissa, we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show and your perspective on this issue. Um, her name is Dr. Melissa DeYonker, and she is a research fellow with the Michigan Mixed Methods Research and Scholarship Program. And uh, she's been talking to us today about how politics are stressing out America's youth, but she gave us some fantastic ideas. I think the youth are starting to uh, pick up on some of these ideas. She mentioned the students in, in Florida and really throughout the country that are making their voices heard. And I guess another way that they can engage more is to not engage as much in social media. Anyway, we will continue the discussion here on The Matt Townsend Show when we return. I mentioned uh, going to a baseball game with my wonderful daughter last night. Well, you mentioned eating food at a baseball game. That's true. I don't know how closely we we paid. uh, I don't know how closely we watched the game. I think mostly I was either concentrating on food or concentrating on trying to keep warm because we found out very quickly that we were not prepared for the uh, very cold weather that we experienced. But anyway. As I mentioned earlier, we had a soft pretzel. We had a hot dog. My daughter had a churro. We shared some Starburst. We shared a hot chocolate. And this was all within like a four and a half inning period of time. So I I, wow. I felt like I wasn't doing us any favors on our waistline, which is interesting because Terry South has some statistics for us. And I'm hoping that uh, I'm not contributing to... What you're about to share with us. Maybe. Uh-oh. So, uh, Wallet Hub, mm-hmm. we've had one of their polls earlier this week, but they do random, like, polling, and they come out with some data. They just look at statistics and put out some stuff, and sure. hopefully you want to 
look into it further, I guess. But they compared 100 of the most populated U.S. metro areas across 18 key indicators of weight-related problems. Whoa. Right? So they're basically trying to find out, as they have this title, the fattest cities in America. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They're not trying to, you know, paint this with a uh, a pop. Sure. It's like a – it's not necessarily – a positive or negative they're just saying hey this is what it is this is the fattest right. cities so it starts out by saying americans are the fattest people in the world not just stereotypically but statistically too in fact in 2017 almost 40 percent of the u.s population age 15 and older is obese and i think you know this this is something that we've heard for a long time right, right? this isn't this is news but then right. it says uh, the extra pounds have inflated the cost of obesity-related medical treatment to nearly three or $316 billion a year, and annual productivity loss due to work absenteeism to more than $8.6 billion a year. So, you know, there's a lot of money being yeah. spent and lost yeah. as we, we deal with the, the way we are as a people, I guess, 40% of the country, obese. Um, so they looked at 100 of the most populated U.S. metro areas, had some statistics, and this is what they came up with. So with this list, you can look at it 1 through 100, right? The mm-hmm. number one on this list is the fattest city in America. Okay. The 100 would be seen as one of the more fittest cities in America. Okay. So you got a positive, negative approach. So I'll, yeah. gi- I'll give you the top five, which is the fattest, and the bottom five, which is the not so fat. Yeah, to okay. be clear, this isn't the 100th isn't even the 100th most fat. No. It, they only took 100 cities, yeah. and so the 100th would be the most fit of the 100 they took. Or not so fat. The not so fat. Depending on which side you want gotcha. to look at. You guys are being negative. <laughs> so what do you, we'll just play the guess, guessing game. Where do you think the fattest city, according to this, in America is? I'm guessing either somewhere in Texas or somewhere, uh, yeah. Texas isn't even in the top. Oh, no, Texas is right there. I'll tell you. We'll, we'll, we'll get this. <laughs> so the fattest city in America, Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, Really? It says Little Rock, North Little Rock, and Conway, which is well, suburbs probably, but Arkansas. They rank ninth in o- what obesity and overweight, uh, one in health consequences, and one in food and fitness rank. Wow. Wow. Okay. Two is Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. Three, uh, McAllen, Texas, which is down in the southern sort of boot, I guess you could call it, because it's Texas. Did you ever live close to My there? My sister did. Okay. My sister spent some time down there. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee is four. Mobile, Alabama is five. Knoxville, Tennessee. Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Baton Rouge. Lexington. Those are your top ten. So Lexington, places Kentucky. where there are a lot of fried foods. Yeah, I was like, every one of these is like barbecue, 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 barbecue. Oh, yeah. but it's so good. Of course it's good. Oh. No one, no one's criticizing the goodness of the barbecue. Doesn't this, okay, isn't another way to look at this list? At, these are the top five cities that have the best taste in food. Yeah, this is, these, are, these are my vacation lists right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm developing. Like, that sounds pretty good to me. Uh, yeah. Whatever your spin is, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the bottom five or top five, depending on your, okay. where you want to do this. Uh, so we'll go. Uh, how how would this work? I guess the one hundred would be the least fattest, or we're just last place. Like I'll start at ninety five. Oh, yeah. uh, Boston, the Boston mm-hmm. area, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah, not uh, not to be confused with Colorado Springs, Connecticut. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Seattle, Washington. Yep. Salt Lake City, Utah is ninety eight. Ninety nine is Honolulu, Hawaii. 
Yeah. And 100 is the Portland, Vancouver area. Portland, Washington. Man, we're always always like last in everything. We just really failed in this department. Can't even win at being fat. I I think that's the way we need to look at it. We're just, we we just can't win. I think I just learned the clam chowder is actually slimming then. Really? Boston was in the bottom. That's a good point. Now, wait a minute. It's good so it was, for you. It was Boston. What was the one after Boston again? Boston, Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Seattle, Seattle, Salt Lake, Honolulu, and Portland, Oregon. See, now, I thought they loved Spam in Hawaii. Yeah. I would think Spam would it's not. It's good for you. But the sodium. The stats don't lie, Jeffrey. Wow. We need to get Palakiko in here. He could tell us. If this is accurate, it has to do with like healthy lifestyles and medical records, also. So, I mean, maybe it's because they're always at the beach, so they need to well, look slim. Apparently, the people that live in Hawaii actually have to work occasionally. It's no. not like they're on like just permanent vacation. No, 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 no. They're always on the beach. Lots of stereotypes going on here. Everybody's always dancing around and in lays really? and, and it's hula just one, skirts. It's one luau after another. Right. All right. It's just like everybody here in Utah has 10 we're, children. And we're constantly skiing. <laughs> yeah, that healthy lifestyle of Colorado Springs and Salt Lake probably has to do with a little bit of skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. Which means you just pile on the layers of clothing so no one can tell if you're fat or not. There you go. This gets back to all the stereotypes and speculation that we were talking about earlier that are so much fun to talk about. Right. Like that we, people tune in for. We gave our top five and then we instantly <laughs> went barbecue because, you know, that's all they eat down there is barbecue. Because I think, I'm hungry. Well, yeah. I think one way we make Little Rock, Arkansas feel better is we just point out that we here in Utah failed miserably. They beat us. At what? They beat us handily at this list. Well, they're number one. They're number one. Not necessarily the list you want to be number one on. Little Rock, you're number one. So there you go. I think that's the big takeaway. There's your fattest cities in America. (laughs) All righty. Well, I think all that did was make me more hungry. Perfect timing because it's the weekend. Anyway, when we return, we're going to continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. You know, life as a police officer seems like it's hard enough without all of the, you know, stereotypical, getting back to stereotypes, hazing that, you know, we see in movies with the rookie cop getting teased and hazed. Well, I feel really bad for this rookie cop. Uh, Connecticut police say a man stole a rookie officer's car and used his credit cards to buy food at a Taco Bell and shop at Walmart. 21-year-old Derek Johnson was charged Tuesday with multiple offenses, including burglary, second-degree larceny, and identity theft. Police say Johnson stole the car from a parking garage on January 23rd, the night of the officer's police academy graduation. Oh, no, that's the worst. Happy graduation. Investigators say Johnson bought items from Walmart and Taco Bell with the stolen credit cards before leaving the car in a private lot. Police later recovered the car. Investigators say they identified Johnson using surveillance footage. Now, I can imagine if there is any hazing that goes on at a police department, I can imagine it would only be that much worse if the day that you're going to be a police officer, you you have your car stolen. Oops. Oh, I feel so bad for this officer. 
Oh, my goodness. Do you think the punishments should be more severe if it's a crime that's committed against a police officer, a theft against a police officer? No, the law is the law, Jeff. So we shouldn't discriminate. That's right. No, I think it's I think it's very interesting that he went to Taco Bell and Walmart. So it's not like I mean, if I was were I a criminal, Jeffrey, and not that we encourage that kind of thing. I think that I have places that I would go with someone else's credit card beyond the places that I normally go with Mm. my credit card. So it seems like anywhere outside of Utah or some uh, even like a rural community, you would notice if there's a police officer not in uniform in their car. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm pretty sure. Here in Utah, you know, it's pretty standard to see somebody in a police car that's not in uniform. But, uh, yeah, I think that would raise some red flags with other people. Anyway, good luck to this officer. I hope that uh, the other police officers treat him right and uh, don't haze him. Give him a break and maybe throw him a graduation party because it sounds like his graduation was not all that great. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. And uh, we've also got Terry South, Cole Wissinger, two individuals who have been completely distracted this morning as the new Marvel uh, Avengers trailer has come out online. And they, uh, Terry came in and all he said was four. And four I had, times. I had to, I had to decode that message as he watched the trailer four times. Three times with the sound on, <laughs> once with the sound off, because the sound like distracts you from all that's going on, and there's key details, and you just got to focus. Thank you for pointing that out and specifying how many times with sound, how many times yeah. without sound. It's important to know. See, Trailer I'm, dissection. I will admit I'm more interested in this than Dr. Matt. I just have to take on his role of... You know, like pretending, pretending not to kill care joy. so much. Being the killjoy. Right, yeah, right, right, right. right yeah. And the funny thing is he goes and sees all of these movies. Right. So it's not like he's not interested and nobody's twisting his arm, forcing him to go see these movies. It is true. So I think it's just a big front. I think uh, – Well, then he comes back and he's like, I, I just don't – I don't get why it's such a – it's a movie. It was it was great, but why are you so excited? And I go, you don't understand. And then I, I've even gone so far as to bring in the comic books that some of this yeah, comes from. That's and he's right. Just like I don't get it. I'm like, oh, I yeah. can't help you. I brought you source material, and you just don't understand. Wow. Well, so uh, that's a movie that is probably going to break all sorts of box office records, and they promised they're going to kill off some of the characters. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, oh, I was ex- I was intrigued, I guess I should say. Did you know, or maybe you were the one that told us this. <laughs> I do that often where somebody tells me something and then I say, hey, did you hear about – and I'm usually telling it right back to the person that told me in the first place. Oh, yeah. Were you the person that told me that Baby Groot is not oh, yeah, yeah. Groot? They came out and said that Groot, who's the tree – based alien and guardians of the galaxy right at the end of the first movie he sacrifices himself for the team yes comes and then at the end you see him like dancing in a pot 
Yeah. Like one of the cut scenes where he's yeah. dancing. Well, then the second movie, he comes back and he's just a little tiny. He's baby Groot. Little baby Groot, they called him. And people just assumed that Groot, like there was a piece of him left over and he's just regrowing. And instead, no, this is Groot's child. <laughs> like this is son of Groot. So, which brings up a whole other discussion which topic. The that... vast majority of people listening probably don't care or don't understand the thing I just said, but that is such a change in the story. It's 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 monumental. And think of the implications of that. Yeah, that means that male trees can have babies. The other confusing he, thing he is that not, it's still Vin Diesel's voice. Yes. Groot may not be male in the sense that we look at male and female. He is an alien. Okay. Right? So we're, we can't apply our idea of what gender don't is they refer to a tree. To him as a he? That might just be just for convenience sake. We don't really know. Okay. And we can't, you know, just because he's voiced by Vin Diesel doesn't mean he's a male. No. You know, the I've man, always... Tree, I, tree, it's a tree. So, we, I mean, it, it's a whole different world. I've always seen Groot as just a tree version of the Iron Giant. Okay. Another great film that is... Another great voice work by Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, right? But same kind of thing. They sacrifice themselves to save everybody else. So, and, you know, same kind of like... um, Yeah. Very limited vocabulary. Very innocent. It's pretty much the same character. And what what an amazing payday he must get for that role. Mm. Anyway, we promise we're not going to just talk about Marvel movies and movies in general. No, no, no. We'll do that during the third hour on screen cleaning. I think that's the reason why Matt acts more curmudgeonly than he actually is, is to make sure that the show actually talks about something other than Marvel movies for a full hour. So he's doing it for the sake of screen cleaning. He's doing it for the sake of his own (laughs) show that has his name on the front of it. I guess. Maybe he's just not an expert like we are, right? Yeah, that's probably it, Jeff. It's because you're so much smarter that you get to. Well, when it comes to movies, I am that much smarter than Matt Towns, and I will admit that. But in pretty much every other field, I will uh, I'll let him take the cake. Anyway, speaking of taking the cake. I just bought tickets to watch that movie, by the way. Taking the cake? No, I've been sitting oh, okay. on my phone here while you're talking trying to get my Avengers Infinity War movie tickets because they're on sale right now. So See, I now, just got them. a movie called Taking the Cake, that's something I would buy right. tickets to. Nope, there we go. Got my confirmation. I'm all set. Okay, all right. let's go on now to news. Now that you've got that bit of news out of the way, Terry, <laughs> what else is going on? The construction firm tasked with building a pedestrian bridge in Florida that collapsed Thursday yes. previously garnered legal trouble for shoddy safety practices that put people Ooh. at risk, the Miami New Times reports the incident Thursday where pedestrians, the pedestrian walkway collapsed at Florida International University in Miami led to multiple deaths. Authorities have said the bridge collapsed uh, atop an eight lane highway, crushing cars, sending at least nine people to the hospital. Officials say six people were killed by the fall of the bridge, which was installed just days ago. The rescue effort has uh, officially shifted to a recovery operation with several cars still under the rubble. Two major construction firms involved in the bridge have been accused of these unsafe practices. Mm. Watching the news last night, they went to several different places, and there's been bridges, there's been other uh, con- you know, construction projects that just they weren't done correctly and people were hurt. Mm. And these, are, these are the people, the construction companies that are involved. So we'll see where it goes. But um, there was, it wasn't, the bridge was installed. It wasn't to be open until 2019. Mm-hmm. It was supposedly undergoing some stress tests. 
And Ooh. it's just interesting that you're allowing traffic to go under something that isn't ready to be used. Right. It seems comp- it seems if you're going to put it over the top of traffic it should be ready to go. Right. They do this Absolutely. Si- they do the similar construction method with overpasses on freeways where you build it off to the side yeah. and you shut the freeway down for an evening and you move it into place. Yeah. And that way you're not disrupting traffic for months and months and <sighs> months. So they did this with the bridge and this walkway bridge and then it falls. So it's like they do it with the freeway construction, and you don't hear about freeways falling. So right. something happened along the way. They'll investigate oh, and figure it out. In a joint announcement Thursday, the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI uh, say they found evidence of a multi-stage intrusion campaign by Russian government cyber actors targeting the U.S. energy, nuclear, water, aviation, construction, and critical manufacturing sectors since at least March of 2016. According to the report, Russian actors conducted reconnaissance and collected information on those systems. While both agencies acknowledged the campaign affected multiple organizations, they did not name specific ones, but did outline in, uh, instances in which uh, Russians collected data output from control systems within energy generation facilities. Hmm. So someone is coming after power plants. The FBI and Homeland Security says it's Russian cyber government actors. We're just going to get these Russians on something. I guess. According to the report, Russian actors targeted uh, peripheral organizations with access to the intended target, but with less secure networks than hacked into the intended targets. So they started with maybe a contractor or something and tried to come in through their computer systems into something that they had access to that way. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, looking at it says uh, the joint report closely followed the Trump administration's announcement of sanctions against Russia for attempted interference in the U.S. elections, uh, according to Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Mm-hmm. In more Russia-oriented news, the extraordinary joint statement signed by the leaders of the U.K., the U.S., France, and Germany have blamed Russia for the attempted murder of former spy Sergei Skripal on the British soil. Theresa May, Donald Trump, Emmanuel Macron, and Angela, Thank you. Angela Merkel. Do you speak French? No, I don't. It's they all they all put their name into a statement that hold, onto a statement that holds Russia responsible for the attack and urges the Kremlin to provide full disclosure about the nerve agent that was used in the attempted murder of the ex-spy and his daughter. They're in critical condition. The restaurant that this happened in, they had to destroy most of the furniture in there. They told after wow. after a week after it happened, they went, "Oh yeah, everyone in there, you may want to wash your clothes." <laughs> a week after? <laughs> yeah, it was a week later. Oh, so uh, it is an assault on the UK sovereignty and such uh, and any such used by a state party. It's unclear violation of the Chemical Weapons Convention and a breach of international law. It threatens the security of us all, as the British government goes on. Uh, so it says it concludes with we call on Russia to live up to its responsibility as a member of the UN Security Council to uphold international peace and security. Russia says we need samples because it's not us. Interesting. Who could it be, though, if not the Russians? Let's speculate. No, Go. let's not. <laughs> it's just I a- heard on the Matt Townsend yeah. show that those darn Germans yeah. Now, are- wait a minute. It's not just elderly people that listen to the show, Cole. Come wow. On. Stereotypes all over the show. <laughs> uh, finally, when it comes to stuffed animals, men are apparently real softies. Really? A new study found that 84% of men still have at least one stuffed animal from their childhood. Do you? Absolutely not. Yeah. What do you have, Cole? 
Um, I have a little lamb sheep looking thing. Uh-huh. I have multiple bears. How do you keep them have... clean though? Well, so they're at my parents' house still. Define still have. They're in my room that has been vacated. This for really kind of feels years. like it's in your current possession. Um, mm. I guess I don't then. See, my mom, when I moved uh, out of the house or into my house, somehow a a old, you know, those old plastic uh, ice cream buckets you get at the grocery yeah. store, like yeah. the gallon. Mm-hmm. One of those with two stuffed dogs that I had when I was a kid uh-huh. that I hadn't thought of in years or whatever ended up in my basement. This is yours. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, you know, you're cleaning stuff out and I open this bucket and I'm like, where did these come from? Like yeah. I had them when I was five. Two of them. I'm like, this is crazy. And so my kids have both of those now. But how do you keep those clean without tattering them? They, I don't know. These were in this bucket, so they were fine. Wow. And then I just my 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 boy saw. Them. Yeah, sure, take it. I, I mean, what do I, I need a stuffed animal for? I see stuffed animals at like a thrift store, and I, at, the first thought is, oh, we could get our daughters a stuffed animal. But then it's like, mm, I have no idea Somewhere how else. clean or dirty that is. Yeah, you can wash it. Um, so I will I will I will admit this. Hmm. Before we started having children, we got to the point where we were getting a little baby crazy and we started thinking dogs were cute and stuffed animals were cute. Mm. So we actually bought a stuffed animal for my daughter before she was born. It was one of those pillow pets and my wife is a fan of pigs. So we got a pig one and we named the stuffed animal. Oh, wow. And we actually got a big fat cow stuffed animal later on that we also named but then that we later sold at a yard sale that now my daughters are they still remember that we sold that stuffed animal wow so That's a lot of information we named the stuffed not not any less information Buying, than what you shared well i'm telling you i had <laughs> stuffed animals you and your wife go out and purchase these name them mm-hmm. make them basically your children and mm-hmm. then sell them at yard sales that's what you just said. Our children are next. If, if only they don't we clean that room, with some kind of psychologist that yeah, can tell us what wow, this means. If, we knew if they don't clean that room, maybe they're next. So the poll found that 84% of men still have at least one stuffed animal compared to 77% of women. 40% of adults say they still interact with their stuffed animals. Ooh, define interact. I'm not sure what that <laughs> means. The poll found that 76% of adults consider themselves to be sentimental. And in fact, 84% of women and 75% of men admit to keeping items they don't use purely for emotional reasons. Well, yeah, obviously. So those can, are, you know, any sort of trophy, any sort of plaque or something is just sitting there. You're not doing anything with it. You keep it because you, maybe you have pride in accomplishments sure. or something. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't asked me the names of the stuffed animals. Well, you'll tell us. So the Here one we that go. we sold <laughs> was Llewellyn, uh-huh. even though it was clearly. A girl cow, mm. and Llewellyn is actually a, a boy's name, uh, if you didn't know that. Mm. Um, and then the pig, which we still own, and my now three-year-old uses it or sleeps with it every night, Pigsley. Pigsley. That's the pig. Huh. Pigsley. Other findings from the poll, 29% of people have a designated drawer for their sentimental items. It's called the junk drawer, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that like the old ketchup drawer? Ketchup packets. Oh, the ketchup, ketchup packets. packet drawer, yeah. Yeah, you have the plastic Chopsticks. forks and yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. 39% of people store their sentimental items on display throughout their home. Mm. They have trophies. Uh, 62% of Americans don't feel like they live in clutter by holding on to sentimental items that they never use. 
Hmm. When that might be the very definition of clutter. Just well, stuff. As opposed to living in a just white wall house with no right. decorations and no signs of life whatsoever. Like pictures hold absolutely no value, right? Mm. Except for sentimental value. They don't, you don't do anything with pictures. You're right. But you have them sitting around your house, But there's right? a fine line between sentimentality and hoarding. That's what they're trying to point yeah. out. So trophies <laughs> of getting sixth place at a bowling league from yeah. when you were 10 yeah. is hoarding. Like, should I have that wrestling trophy from junior high school? Uh-huh. Mm. Probably. I have another confession to make. Mm. I am a declutterer trapped in a lazy man's body. You you have, like, ambitions to declutter but never actually get to it? Exactly. Okay. I think there's a lot of people that way. I think a lot of people go, I should really <laughs> I do something. I think we call them clutterers. Just... Yeah. Actually, I think we just call them lazy. <laughs> that too. Finally, this was uh, – you're, you're doing your movie show later, so I'll, I'll share a movie item. Okay. Uh, something that has been a trend – uh, when a new Star Wars movie comes out, there's mm-hmm. some theater that shows all the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Uh, they've done it with Indiana Jones. When one of those movies comes out, they all back to back to back, and they and show all those. that's less of an ordeal because there are only four of those. They did it with uh, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. all the Harry Potter movies, and they just show a marathon of Harry Potter movies. Eight of those. They, sometimes you'll have like a contest. If anyone moves, you have to sit in your seat for the whole time to win some prize at the end. Oh, my goodness. You know, the whole put your hand on a truck and the last person yep. touching the truck gets to win the truck, you know, that kind of thing. They're doing it with the uh, Avengers movie, the Marvel movie coming out here in a month or two, about a month. Uh, except on its website, this is from the AMC Movie Theaters chain. On its website, the theater chain announced the Avengers Infinity War Marathon. Oh, no. Takes infinity to get through. 31 hours. Oh, of content. I'm not even sure if that's all the movies. And that doesn't even take into account any breaks that they may have scheduled in there? I don't know. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Any crazy uh, gimmick, like you can't do they, this or they you have to do this? They haven't defined it yet, exactly what the rules are. But they hmm. th- this says it's likely going to start out with the first Iron Man movie, except... They do accept one of those bad Hulk movies as being part of all this. The 2003 Eric Bana Hulk movie? Well, there is the there was That's one, not a part of it. There it's was the, one no, incredible it's the Edward Norton. Yeah. Ed Norton. Edward Norton. Movie. Right, mm-hmm. cuz the that 2003 movie had uh, mutant puppies in it. Okay. They had a poodle and another dog. It was Hulk really weird. Puppies. Yes, and then um, the next one, that one they decided to go with even though they don't like that one in 2008 with hmm. Edward Norton. Um, so that's not on the list. I think they're just not going to acknowledge its existence and just really. Yeah. But it's it's got to be a part of it because Tony Stark has a part in yeah, it. Yeah, there's like a part right at the end, so that's why they have to adopt it into the whole franchise. Mm. But yeah, 31 hours. I think that's way too much. Okay, so you guys are the Marvel experts. I want to know what the gimmick should be at this marathon. Should it be like you have to place your hand on Thor's hammer oh. and keep it there for the entire movie? That would be very nerve-wracking, being in such close proximity to that many people for 31 hours. That would be rough. What do you think? There's my idea. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I have a perceived idea that this would be uh, a largely male-oriented audience that would participate in this sort of a challenge. Okay. And when men sit at the theater, you don't sit next to anyone. You have a space in between. You have that buffer seat. Okay. <laughs> you know, so you can stretch out and relax and not worry about what's going on over here. You have, yeah. That's why now you see the recliner seats, and they're so big. 
huge armrests so you don't have a chance to actually bump anyone else in the dark and like freak out because you don't know who that was. Right. What was that? What was going on? You know? Yeah. Though your feet are probably in the way of anyone walking by. Even though they try to give you leg room, they still run into your feet. Yeah. It's frustrating. So I don't think it'd be a problem having, you know, people around you for that period of time because, you know, men are naturally going to separate themselves in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. So I think that's not a consideration, but I don't know what the prize would I be at the end. I think that having your eyes open watching anything for 31 mm, hours is bring, challenge enough. We some, don't need to add extra things to this. Bring some synthetic tears. or shields. Or, wow. Your eyes are going to dry out, so be prepared for that. You know, I went and saw Black Panther yesterday for the second time, mm. and I started to doze off during that movie. Mm. And that's a long – it's like two hours and 15 minutes long. True. Um, you know, I think it would be interesting to see how many of these men is still married Ooh. by the time they got out of the theater. <laughs> Good choice. Because yeah. how many of these wives are going to let their husbands with, you know, they have all these kids. Sure, honey, go, s- go spend 35 hours at this movie theater. There's always a news station somewhere that finds the supportive wife for this sort of a activity for wow. marathons. and Usually it's the wife that would be tagging along with the husband. Yeah, there has, has to be a shared enjoyment here. You can't have one person that into it and the other yeah. person is just tolerating life at the moment. So. I just don't think it would go over so well with my wife, let's just say. Anyway, I think uh, a good way to end up becoming a client of Dr. Matt is by going to the 31-hour Marvel Marathon. It's going to be his first question upon triage into meeting, yeah. <laughs> like, have you spent 31 hours just watching Marvel movies before? Yeah, I'm glad you came in today. Thank, Thank you. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're not going to be talking about movies with our next guest, but we are going to be going back to a topic that we have been discussing throughout the show, and that's how to connect with your kids and uh, one idea that this our next guest is going to share is maybe you don't be as concerned about being your kid's friend. Interesting thought. When we return, we're going to talk about that here on The Matt Townsend Show. Being a dad can sometimes feel like an impossible task. I know it does for me. Trying to balance work, family, and other obligations is exhausting. Some fathers work long hours and struggle to find quality time to spend with their children, and this can often make it difficult to connect with our kids. Here to speak with us today is Julian Caldwell, founder of Get Connect Dad. Hope I said that right, Julian. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, how are you? I am fantastic. I'm so grateful that you're on the show today because this is something that has very much been on my mind lately. And uh, even last night, I took my six-year-old to a baseball game, and all we did was eat food the whole time. And, you know, the the bill kept adding up. And it, it probably didn't help that it was super cold and she wanted a hot chocolate to keep her warm but that just so happened it came after a hot dog and a pretzel and all this other (laughs) stuff so and I've been wondering about this lately am I a bad dad if if all the time that I spend with my children seems to be focusing on do it let's do the fun thing you know let's make let's make my kids a big fan of their dad am I doing my children a disservice when I I'm only focusing on on the fun stuff 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because <clears throat> I was talking to your uh, wife this morning, and she said that <laughs> I was supposed to give you this was an intervention for you. So, yeah. yeah, she said, please uh, back off. Of, and, <laughs> no, I apologize. Well, first of all, congratulations <laughs> that you're actually spending time with your daughter. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> it's great. So my opinion, of course, this is I'm, I'm a dad. I've got a uh, 23-year-old daughter, and then my wife and I were so fortunate to adopt two boys uh, six years ago and four years ago. So I get the luxury of kind of having round two at this. Um, yeah. And I, so I don't know if, if I, I would I would never tell a father he's being a bad father. That's just typically not what's none of my business, and that's a good way to get punched in many uh, circles of, of the world. Um, but I would say that it's important for you to look at the activities that you're doing with your children and making sure you're taking time doing things that they really, they really want to do, but not things that make you popular, right? So yeah. um, I find, I'm sure you're the same way, Steve, that you've got parents who, when you look at them, it's like, they consider themselves the oldest friend in the in the room, and that's really kind of a crazy place to be because there are times that they need you to not be that friend. They they really want you to be engaged at a different level of of, of parenting, like you know, for not like a better word for the word to be a, be the parent. So. Yeah, it's funny when you when you mentioned uh, the kids that you have in your family. The first thing I heard was I have twenty I have a twenty three, and I thought, oh my goodness, he's got twenty three kids. Yeah, and yeah. I I wouldn't you know I wouldn't put <laughs> Put it past you, or, or yeah, uh, that's crazy. I'm, my next door neighbor has eleven kids. So, um, tell us a little bit more about Get Connect Dad. Great. I first of all, thanks for this time, this opportunity to speak to your audience. Absolutely. It's complete. Um, I'm nervous, so please bear with my uh, my <laughs> voice. I probably sound like I'm you know three octaves higher than normal, but. So I'll, I'll kind of tell you how I got into this. So uh, I didn't plan on having a website on parenting. Period. Uh, Three, about two and a half, three years ago, I'm, I'm working for the actually probably the second largest company in the world, flying away on a Sunday morning to a retreat where they you know, kind of lock you in the room, take away your badge, and give you a tattoo at the end of the week that says you're a leader. And uh, I, 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 the only explanation I, I use, and it is the explanation, is God told me, kind of asked the question, and it could not, it would not leave my, my, my brain, was, or my heart really, is like, what would happen if you spent some of this time this week while you're traveling focused on your kids and helping maybe other fathers and mothers become better parents. I was like, what are you talking about? That's why would I do that? I'm going, Mm. I'm on a plane, I'm flying away. Well, so I kind of sat down and wrote a long kind of, this is what I want to do. And my wife wrote, read it and my mom read it, which I figured that was the two people I needed to, wanted to read it and probably the only ones who would ever read it. And lo and behold, I had a father, uh, Paul from, uh, uh, Colorado Springs, and then uh, Dr. Stephen Mack from Chicago. The, these guys started writing me and say, "Hey, I want to join you. This is a great idea." So, I was the, the premise was 52 traits we want in our kids, and how to instill those traits over the duration of their life. So, I was writing on a trait a week, and what ended up happening, you know, Julian's perspective of was writing you know one story a week. I ended up having about 500 parents from 47 countries writing that year with me along all of those traits. So we had people from Africa and Europe, the U, and uh, the Philippines, you name it. And all of these perspectives were, were not like prescriptive, like to be a good parent, you must do X. They were giving examples in their life where they used an example to, treat, to teach humility or to treat engagement or to treat um, being uh, optimistic or positive. So that's how it kind of came about. And uh, it's it's funny. I, if you had told me three years ago that I would be sitting on a, a national radio station talking to you about parenting, um, I would have told you you're just absolutely crazy. crazy. <laughs> you know, I I just love that because 
in my own life, I think about, you know, I, I'm here at the radio station, then I go home and I do voiceovers. It seems like I'm always working. When I'm not working, I'm spending time with my kids. So there's there's very little me time that I have. And it, it's so, it, that's very admirable, admirable of you to take the little free time that you had and to focus on your kids, even when you're away from them. I'm curious to know what were some of the traits that uh, that came up on this list and what were some of the ways to bring those traits about or to help instill those traits in your children? Yeah, so great question. There's 52 of them. So for me, there, there are five, what we kind of, five core ones we talk about. And we have a, <clears throat> a free parenting challenge um, on the on the core on the website, and it's free. This is not something my wife and I are doing for money, or it's it's just it's completely just kind of out of a. We love this process. And it's really about being connected, so creating connections with your kids, uh, communication, be communicative, um, encouraging cooperation. So I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old boy, so that I'm failing miserably at that space right now. But they are six and four, and we only have like one thousand Legos. So how do I split those up between two kids? Right? <laughs> Um, honesty, and then risk-taking. So that's the tech, kind of the top five that after a year and a half of uh, uh, writing and research and talking to parents from literally all tops, types, uh, walks of life, those are the ones that we kind of focus on in our parenting challenge and give parents some, it's actually kind of cool, Jeff. We, uh, we do like an executive summary, so if you're busy, so like you're saying you're you know, busy all night doing voiceovers, et cetera, it gives you a really kind of a quick snippet of this is what you can do, period, to work on being more connected to your kids if you want the details, then there's a second part of it that you can go read about the details. And then we give you some activities you can do, and then some things you can talk about on the way to school or on the way to church or on the way to soccer practice, taking advantage of those times you do have and make them to turn off their dang phones right. and talk to you about the topic at hand. And at the end, we give you uh, some uh, a list of the anthology from the last year of writers who wrote about this topic. So. Those are the five top ones that, that we I, continue, I consider if I, if I do nothing else, I convince people to be more connected, to communicate better with their kids, work on cooperation, please be honest, and take good, solid risks that, that make sense. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Julian Caldwell, who is the founder of Get Connect Dad. It's an organization dedicated to connecting fathers with their kids. And uh, I'm definitely going to check out that list and and maybe take some of my free time, my my me time, and uh, and figure out how I can become a better dad. I'm curious to know what are what would you say are some mistakes that you see dads or just parents in general making with their kids today? Well, you you had a guest earlier on, and I forgot her uh, the doctor speaking on social media. So for, for me, my, my personal opinion, my wife and I are very very adamant that parents have given children uh, communi- uh, devices, phones, iPads, computers way too early. And that is, the, in my opinion, and again, I'm not a doctor, I'm just a dad. I've had some, some significant experience in, in the world of parenting, which we all do. But I traveled for 13 years, uh, probably 60% of the time. And there were, there were times I'd sit in a, in a uh, gate area and find five out of a hundred people not on the phone, and that's kids included. Yeah. And if you think about, I always joke about, I was asked a question, this is kind of a pointed question, but would you take your 12-year-old and drop them off at the bar and come back and pick them up in an hour and see what happens? Ooh, yeah, that's scary. Right, so if you think about what access we've given our children to people, 
not just I mean, I mean there's an entire there's a spectrum of of of, of issues right so you know, there's certainly the the issues of safety but also just the influence around their who they're talking to and who you don't know who they're talking to so really for me that's the core issue we we wrote, read a book a few years ago called bringing up geeks and uh, Mary Beth Hicks does a great job of putting into a kind of it's 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 kind of a, it's it's ugly truth but it's about listen you want your kids to be the geeks in high school and that sounds really horrible for a parent who doesn't want their child to be that geek because for whatever reason they may you know have history or experience around it but you want the child to be making decisions that are pertinent to their life and your values and many times that's in direct competition with what the men and women are, and the kids around them are, are wanting, wanting them to do. So you mentioned uh, some of the um, some of the things that you want to instill in your children are honesty and risk taking, and yep. we want we want our kids to be successful. I don't think there's any parent out there who wants to see their kids fail. But how do we as parents gauge success? Like how do how is success measured in your eyes? Well, that's a great question. It's it's different on every, in everyone's eyes, right? So, I believe for me, it's like you know, my dad and my mom always use the example. My, my goal is to get you through high school successful and out on your own and off of the off of the payroll. And that was a kind yeah. of their 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 uh, measurement. But first of all, you know, are they productive productive citizens of of the community? And are they working on things that for me, it's about are they engaged in things that um, Jesus Christ for? Right? Are mm. they working on things that make it important? I mean, that make an important difference in the in the world around them, and that's that involves get you on Saturday getting out for a serve a serve festival or visiting a, a home of a family who might be in need or a family who just needs a good friend, you know, or you know, someone new to the city. It's about showing those kind of examples, and I think if if you aren't doing that as a parent and and, and instilling those kind of values, you know, you you'll get kind of what you you get what you plan for, right? If yeah. You spend your time watching television. I, it would just drives me crazy when I hear a father who says, I spend two hours a night playing a video game with my son, and we're bonding. And I'm thinking, you're, you're, you're crazy. That's not bonding. <laughs> that's, just not, that's just not true. It's, yeah. I mean, you, might, you, might be, you might be better at the game than, he, than you know, in a year from now, but that's not bonding. That's not talking about things that really matter. Yeah. So uh, you, you mentioned this. You gave an example of, of your busy schedule, and there are a lot yeah. of dads out there, and moms especially too, that just have these crazy busy schedules. Yep. How do we find meaningful ways to connect with our children when maybe we're on the road or maybe we're just at the office all hours of the night? How can we connect with our kids even when we're not physically with them? So I think uh, I would start the question by saying, you know, why are you spending 60, 70 hours working? Yeah. And it's a real, you have, you have to, you have to be, a, you have to you know, take it honestly, look at yourself and say, why am I spending that much time away from my family? And if you really want to spend that kind of time away from your family, then you're really doing a disservice for your kids. And I'm not, not trying to be critical. I, I've worked those hours. I've, I've traveled that. But you also have to make sense that you have to say, if I'm going to be home, that time has to be 100% devoted to my kids and my family. And that means that if you're going to be gone 70 hours for work, you're not going to meet the boys out and play basketball on a Saturday night or Friday night. It just shouldn't happen. And that's, that's again, Julian's perspective. It's not like this is live, you know, live your own life. But for me, it's like I cannot – I don't play golf on Saturday mornings with my, 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 my friends. I don't go out on the evenings and go to restaurants. We rarely, my wife and I rarely go out with, with, with couples. Now, I've changed careers. I've joined a, um, a firm in, 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 in town, so I'm not traveling anymore, which has just been a blessing. I, I get to hug my boys when they get off the bus at night, which is just unbelievable. And so I had to make a choice, though. I had to make a significant 
change in my career because I look at it and say, what's, what is the next 10 years going to be like for my children? Yeah. And traveling and being gone all the time just wasn't going to actually make a difference. So I'll give you five things that we kind of challenge you to do. And sure, things yeah. Based upon the, the conversation we've had is one is devote an extra hour a week uninterrupted with each kid. Mm. And that's an hour over a, a span of the week, so it doesn't have to be one hour at a time. It could be 15 minutes at a time. Um, and do what they want to do. So if your child wants to play video games, and that's what, you know, if, if you're a video game family, then spend 15 minutes specifically focused on what your child wants to do. It's about creating connection and letting them know that what they think of, uh, what they want to do is important, and you value that. That's one thing. So that's an hour with each, like a dedicated yeah. hour only with that child. Yeah, so for okay. your neighbor with 11 kids, they're going to have a tough week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, they got to do it, man, if they want yeah. to make it happen. Maybe, it's, well, maybe, it's, maybe tell your neighbors to start like 30 minutes and work up to an hour. But, yeah, yeah. Um, second one would be read a story or have your kids read to you um, each night. And that's you know, assuming your kids aren't 16 and they're not reading. But if you're talking between, you know, 3 and 12, it's impor- important to have that moment. So my, yeah. I, I read the Hardy Boys to my boys every night. It's a great little adventure. It's a chapter a night. They always fall asleep to it, and that's something I've done now for almost seven months. And you know, going through the entire series, it's a good long series for me. And there's Nancy's your if you if you if you got girls and they don't want to read Hardy Boys, but uh, <laughs> get outside and walk with your partner and your kids. So get outside and do exercise. If it's going to the mall and walking, if it's cold, like if it's in Salt Lake City, you guys have pretty temperate weather typically. But if it's cold, go inside somewhere and walk. The fourth one would be take one moment to say I love you to your kids. What we find statistically is that decreases as you get older. So you're less likely to say I love you when the kids are 13 than you are when they're 4 and 5. So just make a point of that. And then the last one is hug your kids once a week. And that sounds crazy that just hug them once a week. I I try to hug my kids daily. Yeah. When they're 12 and 13, they're not going to do that. But let them know that you care about them and that you want to, you know, that you want to make sure that they, they, they get that because what happens as they get older is like 70% of the kids don't get hugged and don't get told I love you when they're 12 and older. Yeah. And uh, Julian, are these all things that we can find on Get Connected? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm yeah. curious to know, just kind of in closing here, you've, you've brought up faith multiple times yeah. uh, throughout the interview, and I'm curious to know how uh, parenting in a home that is centered on Jesus Christ or you know a home that is very spiritual based how that has an impact on parenting well I, that's a great question so for us it's 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 kind of a it's I would say that if you asked me five years ago, I would have a different answer than I have today because mm. my relationship with Jesus has become, become a much bigger part of my life. But if you think about um, what our relationship is to Jesus, we're, the, we're, his, we're his kids, right? We're the Father, if you will. I guess God more so. But if you think about that and think about I, my job is to be the best for my family, the best for my wife. And I just told my wife last week that I have not done a good job of being what – the what the Bible and what um, God and Jesus expect me as a husband to be. So I need to be more caring and more quiet and more listening. And I'm I fail at that daily. Probably um, I'm still working on that. But for me, it's about kind of using the lessons and the stories in the Bible and the stories around the men and women who I'm I've, I've just fell in love with because of their faith and, their, and even those with, with not a faith in Jesus. Is that how do I become a better man to my kids? And there's if you if you look in the Scripture, there's tons of examples of what fatherly love looks like, and I just try to emulate that as, as best I can, given the fact that I'm a human and I'm um, I'm, I'm I'm certainly not perfect. My wife, you can, I can she can be on the next hour if you'd like to talk to her about 
how I'm not the perfect father. But <laughs> I'll available, take so. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think we could learn a lot just talking to our wives more about that. Uh, Julian, thank you so much for your time on the Matt Townsend Show this morning. We really, really appreciate your insights. And go check out all of his insights on Get Connect Dad. Uh, Julian Caldwell is the founder of Get Connect Dad, which is an organization dedicated to helping uh, fathers connect with their kids. And he's given us several ideas that we can adopt here on the show. Take some of those challenges to heart. Hug your kids. Tell them I love you. Spend a dedicated time with them each week. I think you'll see a difference in your in your parenting or your dadding, if you will. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we are going to continue the fun and the discussion here on the Matt Townsend Show when we return. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to do a little MT news here for you. MT standing for uh, Matt Townsend, not empty like substance-wise. Right, Because Cole? this is the news that will fill your day. Yeah. And I'm going to start off with this one because it'll be a, it'll be a good tease for what something that's uh, going to come up on uh, screen cleaning here in just about nine minutes. A Kansas family whose dog was mistakenly flown to Japan is expected to be reunited with it later this week. Yay! I'm so, this is a happy ending because we just had the story about United Airlines that somebody had to <sighs> put their dog up in the overhead, the, uh, overhead and uh, the dog passed away. So that didn't end well. So we want to give you a happy story. And it's also going to tie in, like I said, to a story we're going to share on screen cleaning. Kara and Joseph Swindle, along with their children, are in the process of moving to Kansas from the West Coast. Kara Swindle and her children flew into Kansas City on a United Airlines flight. Uh Uh-oh, United Airlines. When they (laughs) arrived, they went to United Airlines cargo facility to pick up Ergo. Their 10-year-old German shepherd, after arriving, they discovered a Great Dane dog. The Great Dane dog was scheduled to end up in Japan. When the plane landed in Japan, officials were able to locate Ergo. He will see a veterinarian and then be put on a flight to Wichita where he is expected to be back with his family. So does that mean that somebody else's dog got mixed up too? Right. So hopefully they're sending the Great Dane to wherever he goes. Right. So the reason this is a great tease for something that's coming up on screen cleaning is because uh, we're going to mention the new film that's coming out here next week, The Isle of Dogs, Yes, which uh, takes place in Japan. So it's very fitting. And uh, we'll mention more of that in the next hour. Super Leave excited for it. Leave them more. That's good. Yes. Yes. Um, listen to this one. Cole, I know that you're really big into body spraying. Absolutely. <laughs> Any, anyone that knows me knows that that's one of my passions, Jeff. So just be careful what you do after you apply the spray, okay? Okay. Because Tell me, warn me of the error of my ways. There's a guy in Maryland uh, who – well, let me just tell you the story. It's It's sad, and it's a good lesson too. Police in Maryland say a car blew up. When a man inside lit a cigarette after spritzing himself with an aerosol body spray. Tell me more. 
The cigarette and spray combination caused a sudden and violent expansion of the air molecules in the car Thursday, creating a boom that pushed the roof up, shattered the front window, and blew the doors open. Baltimore County Police spokeswoman Jennifer Peach told the Baltimore Sun. Peach said the driver appeared unharmed and was taken to a hospital to check for hearing damage. But Baltimore County Police said on its social media accounts that the man was taken to a burn unit with serious injuries. Oh, no. Yikes. So there was no word as to which body spray that he applied. They are all flammable, though, so I don't think it matters. But the lesson we can learn here is that you can give up either of those two practices and be safe, right? You can either not spray yourself with smelly stuff or Mm -hmm. you could not smoke. I will say Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, the car exploded and, you know, he's in the burn unit, I'm guessing he may have applied a little bit too much of the body spray. A little bit. A little bit too much, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I think you you pinpointed it, Cole. Either don't use the body spray or don't apply too much or don't smoke. Right. But definitely don't do the two together. Anyway, when we return, we're going to give you some more empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had your young ones uh, break something in the house or when you were young, did you break something or maybe you broke something as an adult? It happens, right? Yes. It's just a part Breakable of life. Breakable things are around. But has anybody ever broken anything that's worth $120,000? Uh, no, hopefully, not, not in my life. Hopefully that's not a regular occurrence. There's a British mother who shared the story of the day her toddler son destroyed approximately $120,000 worth of antiques when visiting a relative. Hmm. Oh, that's even worse when it's not your stuff. Grandma's it's somebody else's fancy stuff. stuff. Yep. Yeah. The mortified mom asked a Facebook group, what is the most amount of damage your toddler has caused in someone else's house? Come and make me feel better. Ooh. That would be tough to top $120,000. Apparently, during the visit, her two-year-old son pressed a button on a small remote control, which had been left on the coffee table. This caused the lid on the side cabinet to open and a TV to start sliding up. It all went downhill from there. The sideboard was currently being used to display a collection of antiques, which came spectacularly crashing down one by one. Estimated damage, $123,000. And that wasn't including the damage the crash caused to the, uh, to the flooring after a marble clock smashed on it. So I think the lesson here is you don't, When toddlers are involved, or really when anybody's involved, you don't leave buttons just lying around willy-nilly. Everybody, it's kind of a universal thing. Everybody likes pressing buttons. And if you told me that by pressing that button that a television would come out of the side paneling of something or other and just rise and appear... You'd want to press it even more. I would press that button. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, don't I, leave I want that lying thing. Around. I want a television to just like come <laughs> out of something when I press a button. I know, right? So speaking of television, we are going to continue continue the fun on screen cleaning during the nine o'clock hour. We're going to be actually talking about not only the new movie that's coming out this weekend, Tomb Raider. Which uh, our friend Rod Gustafson will be doing a review for that. We will also be talking about 
the perfect movie pairings. And what I mean by that, if you could go to a drive-in movie theater, what two movies would you put together? Because usually it's like an action movie mixed with some other movie that doesn't belong with it. I'm always fascinated. Well, the kids' movie is always first right. so that, so that the they can go parents home. can go home and go to sleep. But I'm always fascinated by the pairings at drive-in movie theaters. But if you could put two movies together, which ones would they be and why? We're going to have that discussion here in uh, just a few minutes right after BBC News. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. It's uh, Jeff Simpson here with Cole Wissinger. I'm sorry I don't usually refer to myself in third person, but there I just did it. It's going to be a great episode today. It really is, because not only are we going to be reviewing the new film, we talked a lot about guy movies on the Matt Townsend Show today, and there's a guy movie coming out this weekend called Tomb Raider, and it's one of many Tomb Raider films that have come out, but this is with a new actress, and so... You've piqued my interest a little bit. Her name is Alicia Vikander. And when you put an Academy Award winner in movies like this, it it adds some weight to it, right? It yeah. adds some credibility to the role, doesn't it? We'll and find I, out. I guess the same could have been said of Angelina Jolie because I think she was an Oscar winner by the, the time those movies came out. Um, but that didn't really make me like those movies any better. Uh, We are also going to be, as we teased during the Matt Townsend show, we're going to be pairing some movies together for you because sometimes don't you just feel like you want to watch two movies in a row? And we see it when we when we go to the drive in movie theater. We we pay. It's the price of one movie ticket, but you get two movies. Classic double feature. Right. And uh, we're going to be giving you some ideas there and we're going to explain why we pair those movies together. And we're also going to be sharing with you the best in entertainment news over the past week. And let's start off by sharing the best second chance news. I think a lot of people were intrigued or, as we said earlier, their interests were piqued when they found out after the fact that at one point in time, Nicolas Cage was slated to play, of all roles, Superman. Sure. Right? And we even got to see some of that footage of him trying on this Superman costume, and he had this big flowy mane, which is not something that Nicolas Cage is really known for because his hairline has historically continued to recede. Sure. Which happens with most men, right? Nothing wrong with that. But he had this huge flowy mane that I assume he was going to sport for Superman, but it was not to be. Tim Burton was going to be the director, and there was even a documentary that was made about how this movie was not made, which I thought was interesting. Get this. Nicolas Cage is getting his chance, after all, to play Superman. All right. Did you hear about this, Cole? I have not. This is news to me. So I, are you familiar with the show Teen Titans? Yeah. The one that's going on, right? It's Teen Titans Go. Teen Titans Go. Yeah. Okay. So Nicolas Cage is going to play Superman in the animated Teen Titans movie. Yeah, good that for makes him. Sense. I I'm actually a big Nicolas Cage fan. Say what you will about some of his movies, but when he is on, he is on, and he just nails it. So I can't wait to see what he does with the Superman role. 
Uh, I'm not familiar with Teen Titans, so maybe I'll have to brush up a little more on that TV show. But... You can start with the actual Teen Titans show okay. and then decide if Teen Titans Go is going to be worth another commitment of time. There you go. Uh, in our best fake interview news... Don't you just love a good fake interview? Absolutely. We teased this earlier when we uh, shared the story about the lost dog that ended up in Japan and the Japanese dog that ended up in America. Well, there's a movie that's coming out next weekend called Isle of Dogs, and it's a Wes Anderson film. And his films are known for being very quirky, very uh, unusual and stylistic the production value on his on one of his more famous films, Grand Budapest Hotel, was very uh, elaborate and beautiful. And it's I a think, very specific kind of movie. Absolutely. Every time Wes Anderson yeah. gets behind a camera, you know a Wes Anderson movie when you see it because mm-hmm. they're just very unique. Well, uh, this this movie Isle of Dogs that's coming out is about. All of these dog they have this dog overpopulation problem in Japan, and so they're being banished to basically this island full of trash, right? And so they have, as a promotion for the movie, they came out with this these mock interviews that all of these dogs did, and they're voiced by some very famous people, including this mock interview uh, of a dog that is voiced by Jeff Goldblum. I love his name, Duke. It reminds me of, uh, would you know who I'm talking about if I said, Would you know who I was talking about? Of course, Duke Ellington. That's right, Duke Ellington. Exactly, because that's exactly what I thought when I heard him riffing that little tune. That sounds just like Duke Ellington. I am so excited for this movie, and I'm I'm torn because my wife said, is there a movie you want to go see for your birthday? And the movie actually comes out on my birthday. I'll just whisper that part. And, but I just don't know because she, the other stop animation movie that Wes Anderson did, The Fantastic Mr. Fox or Fantastic Mr. Fox, she was not a big fan of. She did like Grand Budapest Hotel, but I saw the trailer for this movie, and I was like – this may be a little too out there for my wife's liking. I don't know. What do you think, Cole? I well, so what, like we said, Wes Anderson has a very specific style, and so his fans are also very in a specific place. Like you either get his movies or you don't. Um, and so if if she didn't get one of them, it's highly possible that she won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to go see it. I, as far as whether or not she'll see it, I, I can't speak to that. But uh, our last little bit of best news and entertainment news, we are going to uh, we're gonna pull right from the headlines. So it's no secret that there have been a lot of snakes that have turned up in various places over the years. And a lot of movies have been made about snakes turning up in various places. And uh, this is another one that's coming up, a movie that they're putting together because apparently in Australia, this mom went to the cupboard and found out that there was a snake in her kid's lunchbox. What? So, yeah. You've heard it here first on Screen Cleaning. There's yet another Sam Jackson movie about, uh, well, I'll I'll just play this trailer for you. Samuel L. Jackson has fought snakes in ten films. This summer, we're taking you back to where it all started. Grade school. 
Hey, Billy, I've got a chocolate pudding in my lunch today. Want to trade? Hmm. Let's see what Mama packed for me. I got potato chips, egg salad, baby carrots, and what's in this bag? Ah, it's a snake! I have had it with these slithery snakes in my Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Samuel L. Jackson in Snakes in a Lunchbox. They messed with the wrong grade schooler. It's good to hear that music once again because it means we're going to be speaking with our good friend Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. He's here today to tell us about the new movie Tomb Raider that's coming out, and he's also going to be a part of the discussion that's coming up here following the review. Rod, I am curious to know uh, what you thought of Tomb Raider, which now is the second portrayal of this character, uh, Lara Croft, who is being portrayed by an Academy Award winner, Alicia Vikander. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, first of all, you don't want to bring up that other movie. <laughs> that one from many years ago. What was that, <laughs> 2001, I think it was? Uh, Angelina Jolie. In fact, there were a couple of them back then. Yeah. And I think... I think that the the, the, uh, the creators of this film are hoping that that generation has come and gone, <laughs> that they can try the whole <laughs> thing again. And then I'm not a gamer. I didn't realize that the game itself was rebooted. That seems to be a very good term when it comes to a video game. Uh, just a few years ago in 2013, a young man who was sitting beside me in the movie said, well, you do know the game's been remade, right? And I kind of said no. <laughs> didn't know that. So, yeah. So here we have Tomb Raider yet again, and it is just called Tomb Raider, no subtitle or anything on it. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I am trying, I'm racking my brains trying to think of a movie that's based on a video game that I thought was really good. And you know where this is going because I still haven't seen one even after watching Tomb Raider. You know, it's, it's kind of got the same issues just over and over where you wind up with a plot where you know you find a you find a, a clue which leads you to a key which opens a box which gives you another clue which leads you to another box which leads you to and kind of over and over and that seems to be how so many of these things work and and there's a lot of action sequences in this movie that you're thinking okay obviously you didn't know how to stretch this out and this movie's longer than it needs to be it's a full two hours long but oh wow you just have a lot of action sequences that you're thinking why they need to be there now having said all of that first of all um alicia vikander is not the problem in this movie in fact she's the bright spot in this movie the opening scene is this bike chase which she does as she's a young girl uh who of course is laura croft but at the beginning of the movie she's delivering she's a bicycle courier in the streets of london and uh and she has this kind of group that she belongs with who are all cyclists and they say well let's have this race where you put a little foxtail on the back of your bike and then we have to chase you around and see if we can catch you. And so there's this incredible bicycle chase through the streets of London in the first few minutes of this movie. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be a good film. But then, unfortunately, there there wasn't a whole lot of story to go along with the rest of the movie. So, yeah, it, it just struggles with a lot of that. It, it, but the good news is 
if your teens are really dying to see this movie, they could see worse. Well, I, I was impressed. I mean, it's got violence. Obviously, there is some blood and that type of thing. This is not something for, in my opinion, for a 10-year-old to go to. But really, not much for sexual content. And even the profanity was kind of sparse. We didn't, there, it was infrequent, and uh, which was a real nice change as well for a PG-13 movie. So I guess I don't have to ask you then, because it sounds like you haven't played the video game, whether or not you had to have played the video game to understand what's going on in the movie. Absolutely not, in my <laughs> opinion, because, I, I mean, this plot is a real, you know, it's a, it's a pretty basic, you know, as we go from one thing to the next. She, in the opening minutes of the movie, what we discover is her father has gone missing, which... I even recall way, way back from the old, old video game. I think that was part of the setup. And so she is not convinced that her father is dead. And uh, and so it, she goes on this quest to try and find her father. And she discovers some of his papers and everything else, uh, which happened to be in a tomb. <laughs> there's lots of tombs in this movie. And then, of course, there's a bad guy. She goes to a mysterious island where she meets up with the with the bad guy. And he's also after the same tomb that her father was searching for and on and on it goes so yeah it's this is a pretty straightforward in fact it's a little bit murky until we really find out what's going on and i don't want to give that easter egg away but until we really find out what's going on you're even wondering like what's everybody's motivation here because it doesn't seem to be about money or anything and uh so i i found it you know pretty murky until we got to where the answers really were and then it was still pretty murky <laughs> it sounds like though for, for uh you get the best bang for your buck when it comes to tombs though tombs being rated yes okay yeah yeah you do you do <laughs> you know there's at least a couple of them in here and uh you know that's if you pay 10 bucks that's five bucks a tomb you can't beat that that's pretty good yeah <laughs> that's pretty good well rod i don't know that i've seen any uh, movies based on video games that I've liked either, but there is one that was based on a fake video game that I would definitely recommend our listeners go see, and that is the movie that's still in theaters, although it's out on video, I believe, too, and that's Jumanji, starring Dwayne yeah. The Rock Johnson. That was just a lot of fun. It was one of those movies that what you saw in the trailer is exactly what you got and were hoping for when you actually saw the movie. You're absolutely right. See, movies based on fake video games allow them to write a movie, which yeah. is probably a good idea. But, okay, so now here's a real dumb question from a guy who's not a gamer. I can't believe, like, did nobody make a Jumanji video game after that original one came out years ago? Well, I don't know. I've I never do, checked. So in the, in the original film, it was a board game. and That's right. It, it even, the board game even makes an appearance in this, in the newer movie. Yes. Um, they did make a board game which as a kid was pretty disappointing because none of the things that you know that you see coming up in the game actually pop out of the game and are that dangerous. So it's a little disappointing. It doesn't really translate into an actual board game, but I think as a video game it could be great. So you're telling me that when you played that board game when you were a kid, your house didn't start flying through the air and no, whatnot? like that happened. That happened no. to me. Did you put Did you put the batteries in? I did think you, I was playing it. I think you're right. I think I wasn't playing it right, or I didn't read the rules ahead of time. <laughs> anyway, Rod, thanks for giving us that review. Um, for our next discussion, I'm really excited to talk to both you and Cole about this. A lot of times we go to the drive-in movie theaters. 
and they you get a double feature, right? You pay it's two movies for the price of one. And sometimes those movies belong with each other and other times they do not. But I was hoping that we could create our our picks for the best drive-in movie theaters or movies that we would put together that really belong together, but they're not sequels or prequels. Um, they're not – it's not the same story, but they, they just – it feels like they belong together. So we've each chosen three pairs, and if we've got time, we can do an honorable mention. I know I've got one. But uh, I'll go ahead and start off by giving what I think is the best pairing for two movies, that movies that you should both see, and if you could see them together, even better. And those films are The Princess Bride and Stardust. Now, if you're not familiar with The Princess Bride, uh, first of all, you're probably lying, and second of all, shame on you. Uh, It's based on a book written by William Goldman, who also wrote the screenplay for the film. And Rob Reiner is one of his first films. films. It was a huge hit for him. And just a classic fairy tale of good versus evil, um, of it's a and it it's described so perfectly by the grandfather in the film pe- played by Peter Falk explaining the book to his grandson played by Fred Savage. It's got everything you, that you would want in a book. It's got fencing, fighting, revenge, torture, true love, miracles, and Fred Savage's response to that was, oh, "Sounds all right. I'll try to stay awake." <laughs> um, just a fantastic film, and my wife and I are reading the book. Fantastic book, very funny. But Stardust is the film that people are not probably as familiar with, which is a real shame because this is a film when a lot of people saw, they said it reminded them a lot of the film The Princess Bride. And Stardust is also a fairy tale, and um, I won't get too much into the details because I don't want to spoil anything, but there's also a lot of fencing. There's also a lot of true love. There's magic and there are miracles. And there's also a very unusual role choice for Robert De Niro, who plays a pirate on this floating ship. And I definitely don't want to spoil the uh, the surprise of that role, but... My hat's off to Robert De Niro for trying something a little different for this film. And basically, it follows this young man who is trying to... Uh, he's trying to woo this woman that he really is in love with, but she could really does. She just doesn't give the time of day to. And she tells him, if you go catch me a star, then I will entertain this idea of marrying you. So he tries to do that. He tr- goes and tries to catch this falling star, which actually in human form turns out to be Claire Danes. Well, there are these three witches who are interested in catching this star as well, but for different reasons. And then you also have this king who's trying to get a hold of this star. So you have all these you have these three different parties that are trying to catch this star for various reasons. And it is just so entertaining, so fantastic, and with a great cast and a movie that really needs to be paired with The Princess Bride. So that's my first choice for perfect movie pairings. Wow, very nice. I'd forgotten about Stardust. I had seen that movie and and you're right. The the pirate is worth the price of admission right there. It really was. Yeah, very very good. Rod, what's and your I was first choice? To see De Niro. 
So my first choice, I'm going to go all historical on you. I think a great pairing is Lincoln. This is the movie that came out, uh, well, I feel like just a couple of years ago, but I guess it was 2012 it came out. And uh, this is the one starring Daniel Day-Lewis playing Abraham Lincoln. And, uh, you know, this movie didn't get as much praise as I thought it deserved. I thought it was a really interesting film. But the movie that I absolutely adore, and this came from a little production company, that they wanted to make historical films that were really well researched. And this one is called The Conspirator. And oh, yeah. uh, this, I don't know, have you seen this film I at did. all? I did. Yeah, Robin Wright, yes. who was in The Princess yes. Bride. Yes, that's right, from The Princess Bride. You're absolutely right. And uh, so she plays Mary Surratt in this movie. James McAvoy plays a lawyer who is very, who reluctantly um, accepts the job of defending her and uh and of course we we know the sad outcome of the movie now this is the problem with historical movies is you often know the ending right but i really appreciated how much i learned about what was happening with this trial and the many things that took place and uh, and how it was set up. And now this movie is definitely here so that we feel empathy for Mary Surratt by the end of the movie, and we certainly do. But I thought it, it poses some very good arguments about some questions that, as far as I'm aware, and like I, I do not have a doctorate in American history, believe it or not, <laughs> but as far as I'm aware, it poses some, some very good arguments about questions that still haven't been answered about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. So if you put those two together, you can actually learn a lot about Abraham Lincoln. And uh, and they're both very, very well-made movies. So those two, I think, are a great pairing. Now, I know if, if you were going to go watch those in the drive-in, yeah, you, you might want to make sure you've got <laughs> lots of snacks to keep yourself awake. These are not action movies. And, sure. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, still a good pair to put together. Okay, so Lincoln and The Conspirator. Cole, what's your first choice? My, my first choice revolves around the idea of going to the drive-in and seeing these characters on the big screen, and that is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And Monster Squad. <laughs> wow. I think that old classic horror movie monsters deserve to be up on a drive-in screen. I grew up in the generation... I I had a drive-in that I went to often, um, and I, I love that mystique, but I grew up outside of the generation that got these new monster movies coming out all the time that would kind of be straight to the drive-in place where there be movies and that's that's kind of what their home was and so yeah. i want to recreate that and i want to recreate it with the greats of the comedy horror monster genre um in nowadays we talk a lot about uh, these cinematic universes and how everything is connected well again the reason why i hated the mummy so much that came out last year is because universal and their horror movies had the great cinematic universe already put together from those old movies and they tried to do it again and it didn't work but what they had was you know you'd had dracula meeting frankenstein and the wolfman was in all these things and monster squad in the 80s was hilarious and was also the avengers of getting all these horror movie monsters together 
Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I, it seems like I saw the first 10 or 15 minutes of Monster Squad. I never got around to finishing it, but maybe I will now. Oh, it is fantastic. And so I would start it. The first feature <laughs> would be Abbott and Costello, right? You got to get the laughs out of the way. You got to get the slapstick and introduce you to the old style monsters before you can see the 80s interpretation of Monster Squad. Okay. Cole, let's just go right into your number two pick. What would you say your number two pick is? Okay, so expanding expanding on the idea of cinematic universes, um, my first reaction when I went to see The Post this past year uh, was that its ending felt very much like a Marvel movie where they're setting up the sequel. Um, the good news is the sequel was already made. Um, All the President's Men from... Mm-hmm. Um, from earlier on i don't have a year in front of me right now but (laughs) the post and all the president's men flow right in together because they're telling the same historical kind of a movie yeah so all the president's men was a big award winner you had robert redford you had dustin hoffman um oh i want to say jack warden was in that movie too i could be wrong I don't know. Uh, Okay, interesting pairing. How about you, Rod? What would you say is your number two pick? Well, my number two pick, I'm going to go back to the days I remember going to the drive-in. And I don't know that these two films were ever paired together, but the common link between them is a guy by the name of Dean Jones, who was this actor that starred in all of those, in my opinion, wonderful Disney movies that came out in the 1960s. So I would put together Dean Jones and that darn cat and Dean Jones <laughs> in the love bug. And oh, put those two together. Dean and, Jones. And, yeah. I remember him. Yes. 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 Just wonderful. You know, this guy was one of those actors. I, you know, I have never heard anything bad said about this guy he just passed away in 2015 not too long ago and uh you know he was the backbone of many of these disney movies that came out and started with great great comedians buddy hackett and don Knotts, and you know that whole gang of people that were involved in making these movies blackbeard's ghost right wasn't he in blackbeard's ghost yes 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 yep and so just some some uh, wonderful films that came up. Uh, we have loved the Love Bug series. Of course, there were many movies, but in my opinion, the original is still great. And uh, a little note in the Love Bug, uh, Dean also plays, there's a little, there's a hippie at a burger joint. And Dean is also playing that character as well. So just in oh, case fine. you haven't watched that movie enough times, he actually plays two roles. And in that darn cat, I think he's an FBI agent who's allergic to cats and he gets assigned to this case. You know, these are just funny, crazy movies. And uh, and I think kids would still love watching these movies today. You know, if there's anything bad that can be said about Dean Jones is that he played the bad guy in the film, the first film, Beethoven. Yes. I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. I do. Did you know Beethoven is the first movie we reviewed at Parent Previews? Oh, really? I remember it well. Yes. Man, we're learning all sorts of things today. <laughs> so for my number two pick, I am going with two films that have very similar themes to them, but completely different. You get a completely different feeling watching these films. I think they're very similar they were both nominated for Best Picture. They, one of them won Best Picture, and they were both, which is interesting because they both scored a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and one of them had 13 Academy Award nominations. I'm talking about the films Forrest Gump 
and The Curious Case of Benjamin <laughs> Button. Now, I think I, I remember seeing The Curious Case of Benjamin Button and thinking, wow, that was like a depressing version of Forrest Gump. And it really kind of is because I was talking to my wife about this yesterday and she wasn't really sure what the takeaway from the curious case of Benjamin Button, whereas in Forrest Gump, the takeaway could be something like, no matter what hand you're dealt in life, you can accomplish anything if you set your mind to it, right? Very uplifting, even though tragic things happen in the movie, it has a positive message, and it's played by a very likable actor, Tom Hanks, right? And that's the film that won Best Picture, and it only has a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is interesting because I think it's a great film. And uh, in the movie, Tom Hanks comes, he comes across his paths with... A lot of very interesting characters, like Lieutenant Dan. He meets a lot of fa- or a lot of interesting people when he's running across the country, right? And uh, he meets the president. He meets, I think, several presidents actually. The curious case of Benjamin Button is similar in theme in that the, you have a very unique character who is coming across all sorts of interesting characters as well. There's the the uh, the sea boat captain or the sea captain, and there is the the woman who is very interested in swimming. He of course forms a relationship with Kate Blanchett. This movie though is just so much more depressing than Forrest Gump. But I think because of the similarities in the theme and uh, the epicness of these stories, I think that they would make a good pairing. Um, Jeff wins the award for longest night at the drive-in so far. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Those are not two short movies. So I don't like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button as much as Forrest Gump, but I think that they belong together. So there's my number two pick. And before we get to our honorable honorable mentions and our number one picks, we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to continue the fun helping you pick out the perfect paired, perfectly paired movies here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, where we're helping you perfectly pair movies together so that if you feel so inclined, you can watch two movies in a row, just like the good old days when we'd go to the drive-in movie theater and get two movies for the price of one. Or three or four or five or six or seven. That's right. Yeah. You can watch all of these. Why not? So, Cole, I think first we want to hear from you what your honorable mention is, and then we want to hear what your your last pick is for perfectly paired movies. So I um, I got into the Lorecraft Tomb Raider spirit here. Okay. Um, and my honorable mention will be Lorecraft with Prince of Persia's Sands of Time. Interesting. These aren't two particularly good movies, and I can admit <laughs> that, but they are two movies based on video games that I played when I was a child, and they are two fun adventure through the sand and tombs and archaeology kind of movies. Yeah. Uh, They go very well together. And I actually, as an antidote as well, I saw Prince of Persia's Sands of Time in a drive-in where the other feature was Salt starring Angelina Jolie. Whoa. You're bringing it full circle here, Cole. And so that's, again, they're not great. So, but as an honorable mention, two kind of video game based adventure-y Okay, movies. There you go. Okay, so what is your last pick here? And then, okay, so my my final pick, and this is my favorite one. Um, I'm a big superhero fan, as generally comes up whenever we talk about movies on this show. And so 
I'm going to pick out two superhero movies, but not from these connected universe or comic book based lands. I'm going to pair Chronicle from 2012 with Sky High, which are two movies in very, that take on the comic book and responsibilities of superhero-ness in two extremely different ways. Yeah. I'd started off with Chronicle, where you see the story of a bunch of high school friends developing and, and stumbling upon superpowers and it going horribly wrong, and follow it up with a story about Sky High that's bright and colorful, and a story about a bunch of high school friends that start to develop and learn about their superpowers, and it goes incredibly awesome. Good for you. Thanks for ending on a high note, too, with Sky High. Right. I've never seen Sky High. Oh, at, it's delightful. At first, yeah. I, if it's... I sound if I sounded surprised, uh, I, it's because I, at first I thought you were talking about those chronicles of Riddick movies with Vin Diesel. So I was like, oh, that's an interesting pairing. But so, Rod, you've seen – you think Sky High is a good movie, too? I've never seen it. Absolutely. You know, that's one of those films that I'm I'm surprised they didn't do more with it. I'm surprised we aren't on the fifth incarnation of it by now because I thought that movie really came off well. Okay. Well, Rod, let me share my honorable mention and my last pick and then we'll turn it over to you. Um, this was really hard to keep off the list, but it'll make more sense here in a while why it's not my main pick. But – an honorable mention for me would be uh, a film that people are not as familiar with and a film that they are more familiar with. And there are the films I Want to Hold Your Hand and That Thing You Do. That Thing You Do, of course, is Tom Hanks's first foray into directing. He also wrote the film. And it tries to really recapture the the craziness and mayhem and uh, and hysteria that surrounded the Beatles coming to the United States there's this small town uh, group called the Wonders, like the number one, which then morphs into the or which morphs into the Wonders, uh, spelled W-O-N, because Wonders, the number one, looks like Oneeders, which is a joke in the film. Uh, a very delightful romantic comedy that has some terrific and fun music in it. In fact, I, it's one of those uh, soundtracks that I can listen to every song on it and just have a great time. The song, That Thing You Do, was nominated for an Academy Award. It didn't win. But also, you need to check out the film, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is the title of a Beatles song. And this movie actually involves the Beatles coming to the Ed Sullivan show. You never actually see Ed Sullivan. You see an impersonator, and you never actually see the Beatles themselves. The way that they uh, show the Beatles in the film is very clever. They come up with some really clever ways to show them. And it involves these teens who are trying to get tickets to the Ed Sullivan show to see the Beatles for various reasons. Some of them are huge Beatle fans. Some of them are trying to get on TV so that they can share their platform on a certain issue. And one of the guys that is trying to get on the Ed Sullivan show is actually trying to sabotage uh, the broadcast itself. Very clever movie. And it's one of the first films by a little director named Robert Zemeckis, who also directed Forrest Gump. You may have heard of it. So check out those two films. I want to hold your hand, and obviously that thing you do, you've probably seen. But then the the main pick that I want to share with you, I kind of cheated on this because it could really go into three films, and these films are The Music Man, Bernie, and The Polka King. The Polka King is the most recent of these films to come out. came out on Netflix about this 
this delightful Polish guy who just wants to be the king of Polka. So he comes to America. He has his head is in the clouds. He has all these dreams, but it just so happens that uh, he is. Uh, He's kind of a fraudster in that he's roping all these people into these pyramid schemes and taking money from old people, but people really like him. They they levitate they gravitate toward him because he's so charming. The same could be said for the film Bernie, which also, like the Polka King, stars Jack Black, another character who's very good at getting people to like him and including old women who whom he spends quite a bit of time with, as well as uh, Shirley MacLaine's bitter old uh, miser of a widow. And she just bullies him around and picks on him to the point where he can't take it anymore. And in a moment of weakness, he snaps and actually kills this person. Interesting thing, both of these films are based on true stories, and both of them are comedies. It's very interesting. You need to check it out because it's kind of shot as a faux documentary going back between these fake interviews with real Texans, many of whom knew Bernie and this old widow. And uh, it's interesting. You wouldn't think that this would be a comedy, but you really need to check it out. It should still be on Netflix. It's PG-13, also stars uh, Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, and Matthew McConaughey in a funny role as well. And the reason I bring this up with The Music Man is because The Music Man obviously is kind of this Pied Piper character that people just love, and he's swindling them. And And if you want if you want to see a movie of these three that ends on a really high note, happy ending, you want to watch The Music Man, of course, which is one of my favorite movies. Rod Gustafson, let's end with your picks. All right, so my honorable mention, and honorable probably because as soon as you say it's a Christmas movie, people go, oh, it's that kind of movie. <laughs> but there have been a couple of Christmas movies made that are actually authentically good cinema. And we have one that released last year, The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is the story right. of Charles Dickens. And the story revolves around the period of his life where he was really going through a, a dry spell, so to speak. He had come off of his fame of Oliver Twist, but then he had a couple of flops after that, and he's trying to pay the mortgage. And, uh, you know, you go from riches to rags so quickly in, in that industry. And so he comes up with the idea of writing this book, A Christmas Carol, and his publisher looks at him like he's crazy. And he wants to get it written and published and distributed within like about a two-month period. Really interesting film. And then, of course, the perfect pairing with that is A Christmas Carol. Now, you've got many to choose from, but I think the one that is still got the most serious artistic view of A Christmas Carol is from 1951, starring Alistair Sim. And, of course, that's that old that old black and white Christmas Carol. And for some reason, the, the monochrome uh, nature of that movie just adds to uh, the whole ambiance of it. And I know this could be a whole other topic, is, is movies that if they were colorized wouldn't be nearly as good as they are in right. black and white. And this one would be on the top of my list. So I think those two can go together really, really, really well. So is that and your then, favorite Christmas yeah. Carol version? Your personal one? Okay, my personal favorite is The Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like to hear. In my family, I think it's my dad that likes Alistair Sim. My mom prefers the George C. Scott version, and I prefer the the Michael Caine, the Muppet 
uh, Christmas. Carol. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it, and it's kind of the same way too. Um, I know my wife Donna, who's who works with me. She really prefers. She really likes the Alistair Sim one as well. Although, but the Muppet Christmas Carol has become our family favorite. And you know, I've I've gotten on the podium to defend the Muppet Christmas Carol as serious cinema many times. I am amazed at how well the interleave comedy in with a very serious story. And yet the spirit of the Christmas Carol still is very strong in that movie as well. But uh, definitely the Alistair Sim one, though, this is a it's a serious work. It's a serious piece of cinema. And um, and as I say, the man who invented Christmas, really interesting looking at Charles Dickens life and uh, and the things that he went through and and frankly, how. You know, it, the, A Christmas Carol to me is one of those books that I believe has inspiration behind it from above. And as you watch this movie, you get that sense of how that might have happened. So really enjoy it. Okay, Rod, I think we've got about a minute left to get to your, your real pick. Okay, my real pick has the same title. There were two movies back, and they're pretty much exactly 20 years apart. The Arrival is a movie that is starring Charlie Sheen back in 1996 about aliens coming to Earth. And then we have Arrival, the movie starring Amy Adams, which came out in 2016. And so those two together, I think, would make a great double feature. And what I really liked about the old The Arrival with Charlie Sheen is, you know, this is an action movie, but like I said in my review 20 years ago, I had to reread it, is the aliens forgot to pack weapons. And so the humans take on the aliens with fire extinguishers. So even though there's a lot of tension and everything else, there's really no... No, there's no sex or blood or gore in this movie, and uh, it's it's pretty high intensity from what I remember. I, I re- it kept me on the edge of my seat. Well, Rod Gustafson, we really appreciate your insight and those great picks. Cole, you as well. There you have it, folks. We just gave you, let's see, four, eight, twelve different double features. Or no, 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 six different double features. No, I'm getting my math all wrong here. We each had, no, twelve different double features. Wow. You better get started. Hopefully uh, you've got nothing else to do this weekend because uh, you, <laughs> you're going to need all the time you can get to get through those. Anyway, when we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. We've been talking double features here on Screen Cleaning, and right now we're going to head over to two of our best, or we're going to go to our best double feature right now, the double feature of Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan of BYU Sports Nation. How are you? Good. What's up? I think we need one of those dramatic sounders if you say double feature, like... Saturday, 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 a double feature monster truck heaven. <laughs> we'll get we'll get working on that. Cole, okay. you make a note of that. Yeah, we've been sharing some uh if we could make our own double features or if we could pair movies together that really belong together, what they would be. We just shot out like 12 double features and we'll Ooh. give another one here in a minute. But uh are there any speaking of double features? There's a double feature of sorts with BYU baseball in the double header that's coming up today. You are of sorts. keen to bring that up. Well, thank you. I was actually at the game last night. I and said that's why. Yeah, well, I said the prayer, and in my prayer, I asked that the rain would be stayed long enough so that the, the game could be finished. I did not say snow, though. That was my mistake. 
<laughs> and apparently, we left just half an inning too soon. We left right after uh, the visiting team scored LMU. four runs. Yeah, yeah. And then we get in the car, turn on the game, and they had tied it up. BYU answers back. And it's a good thing BYU did answer back to tie it because if the game gets through six innings and it's ruled that weather has taken over, they can also vote to just call the game and then credit LMU with a win. Yeah. So. Ooh. Yeah, we couldn't stay there any longer because uh, we couldn't feel our toes and we needed them to get back to the car. So it was a cold one. Anyway, so that's coming up today. What's coming up on your show that you're going to be talking about? Oh, you know, just the usual March Madness, BYU football, making the madness take a temporary backseat for a bit because of what the offense did yesterday and what we learned about the race for the starting quarterback at BYU, how Tanner Mangum fits into that and why he might be in a better position than many think. Mm. Plus, how would you characterize the BYU offense? We don't really know what style it's going to be. We talked to quarterback coach Aaron Roderick and running backs coach Fessy Satake about that. That's exciting. And, uh, you know, as you know, uh, Tanner Mangum's mom is a frequent contributor on the Matt Townsend show. Yes, yes. Indeed, Karen she giving you the inside? Um, I, I'm not going to tell you. That's coming up on our next show. <laughs> okay. So okay. how's that for a tease? Take that. Sorry. That was kind of right. came out mean. I didn't mean for it to be. Uh, what else? Anything else? Well, we've got interviews uh, with Fessy Satake, Aaron Roderick. They'll give us the inside edge to what the BYU football offense is doing, as Jaron mentioned. And what's the chance... BYU Volleyball doesn't lose another match in Federation play. Oh. Ooh. They're undefeated right now in MPSF play. When's their next game? Two weeks. Two weeks. That's exciting. Keith Troyer gone. What kind of uh, replacement does BYU need on the basketball staff? And how's your bracket doing? Uh, Mine is non-existent. Okay. Is that sad? Wait, you didn't fill one out? Cole is, out. is nodding his head. Yes, that is sad. Okay. Are I you didn't. just not into college basketball? I didn't fill one out uh, because I didn't feel like failing at something miserably. <laughs> well, typically the people that know the least win the bracket. That's what I've heard. And apparently uh, two of the teams that were not favored to win last night ended up winning. So they've messed up everybody's bracket, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were some shockers, notably Arizona. The four seed. That's the fun part, man. You getting not just losing, but getting absolutely crushed by the wow. University of Buffalo. Wow. So uh, you know they did more than wings. There's there's a chance for people like me, but obviously not me because I didn't fill one out. But there's a chance for people like me who don't know anything about college basketball. I'm telling you. I would say you might be more every advantaged. year. Okay, BYU's athletic director Tom Homo is on the NCAA tournament selection committee. Okay. Like, he knows so much, it's, but it's like if you know that much, it's worse because you overthink <laughs> everything. Absolutely. Whereas his daughter's like, oh, I like the name of that school. Biggest upset <laughs> in NCAA history. <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is we need to take our kids to the horse track? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like, yeah, I I like, like the color of that I like pony. That one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's not what you're saying. And... Uh, <laughs> We want to make that abundantly clear. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Spencer and Jerem. <laughs> it sounds like a great show that's coming up here in just about four and a half minutes. You're not going to want to miss it. BYU Sports Nation is Gracias. coming up.
We'll see you. Have a great weekend. Thank you. So, as you know, we like to end each one of our screen cleaning shows with our panning for good segment. There's good in them dire hills. And we're just not going to shake this theme that we've got going on of double features. I'm going to mention one more double feature that you're going to want to check out for sure. One of them is the uh, more prominent film of Wonder, which came out this last year. It's PG, and it's a fictional tale, but it, it deals with some issues that are not fake that happen on a daily basis, unfortunately. And this story focuses on a character who has facial deformities due to surgeries that he's had throughout his life and the decision that he and his parents make for him to go back to public school. He is terrified to do it, Um, and he deals with a lot of bullying. Unfortunately, he also deals with a lot of encouragement from kids eventually who befriend him and really (laughs) remind us all that we're not— we're not so different after all, even though some of us might have facial deformities. Some of us might have a different color. Some of us might have different issues that we deal with, and we shouldn't treat people differently because of of our appearance. So it's a great message, and you really leave the film thinking, how do I treat those around me? What can I do to be a better person? So it's a great film with a great message. And then the one that you really have to pan for— hence the panning for good, uh, is an older movie from the 80s called My Bodyguard. And this is a film about a kid who doesn't have any facial deformities. He's, uh, you know, he's not a minority, but he is bullied quite a bit by a character that's played by Matt Dillon. And so what he does is he hires this really big, tall, buff guy to be his bodyguard, and they end up becoming friends. And this boy who has hired the bodyguard actually helps the bodyguard deal with some of his own issues. So go check it out. It's an older movie from the 80s. You'll probably have to look for it a little more. But that's what we try to do on the show. We try to help you find those films that aren't getting the light of day that they ought to. We're going to keep doing that each week on Screen Cleaning. Here on the Matt Townsend Show, BYU Sports Nation is up next.